You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. And uh, we're doing another episode. We are. We, we have been doing episodes lately. <laughs> we are actually recording and doing the thing that we say that we're going to do. That's an important thing. It is an important step for us yes. as a podcast. It is important for podcasters to podcast. Uh, and so on this podcast, where we are podcasting... You know, our cold opens really suck. Yeah, they do. We, we're continuing. That's why. <laughs> why good podcasters know what they're doing. Um, we're continuing our Love and Monsters series. Uh, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies. Like, just period. period. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I, especially on a rewatch, it really confirmed it for me that this is one of the great movies like yes. in general it is fantastic and you know since i put the name of the movie in the title of the episode we're talking about shape of water today mm-hmm. and um yeah i'm, I, I'm I, actually nervous to talk about this one because i want to do it justice i'm not like, nervous to talk about it because even on last week's episode where i was like all right next week when we're going to cover shape of water i have nothing bad to say yeah like i i literally have nothing bad to say so it's just going to be me singing the praises of this movie there's just so much i want to like sink my teeth into in this movie there's so much packed into every frame of the movie that i really want to talk about and it's i don't know it's just gonna be tough i want to cover it all yeah you can't do that i'm just gonna be like yes everything is amazing all right before we get into that though uh big 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 announcements about the chattanooga film festival what what that felt weird i should not ever do do what no (laughs) just after the first one just i have made a huge mistake this is one of the only times i'm actually glad you don't edit this podcast because uh yeah that's gonna be fun i might listen to just the first like five minutes of this one to hear that again yeah this is also why we do not take ourselves seriously uh yeah yesterday um at the time of this recording yesterday the uh announcements or the first wave of announcements about the chattanooga film festival came out and I'm, I'm i'm pretty stoked it's like the first part of the first wave it's not even the full first wave of announcements it's more like a teaser yeah there's god there's gonna be so much this year um yeah so announcements came out yesterday and so naturally we're going to talk about some of those um i i'm gonna i'm gonna start by reading the about me section about the chattanooga film festival I assume that most of the people listening to this podcast are probably already familiar with Chat Film Fest, um, since they're one of our sponsors, and that is primarily what we've been covering for the last few years. Uh, But in case we have picked up any new listeners or anyone outside of the Southeast Tennessee region, and they're like, Chattanooga, what's that? It's it's a city in Southeast Tennessee. Thank you, Nathan. (laughs) This is bad. 
Ahem. The Chattanooga Film Festival loves everything about cinema. The films, filmmakers, and audiences. The critics, collectors, and curators. And most especially, the popcorn. The first ever Chattanooga Film Festival was held in 2014 and has been quickly making a name for itself among film lovers, filmmakers, and the film industry, having been hailed the Sundance of the South by Southern Living Magazine. We share films and events that are unique, challenging, critically significant, and a hell of a lot of fun. Our ultimate goal is to remember, discover, and cultivate cultivate cinema worthy of everyone's love and respect. As always, CFF is proudly continuing its mission to respect cinema in hopes of increasing film exhibition, education, and production in the state of Tennessee. Now, what? What? <laughs> I'm, just gonna put, I'm gonna put that on a loop at M- the end. Mine was better. <laughs> the the post credits is just gonna be you going, what? What? <laughs> <clears throat> so one was less enthusiastic and still better okay <laughs> kind of like you on the podcast yeah generally yeah that's just that's just my that's my mo less enthusiastic and better i hate you <laughs> uh so yeah part of the reason that i wanted to start with that is part of the mission of chat film fest it's not just about showing movies. And I feel like we've mentioned this every single time that we've talked about Chat Film Fest. We're like, yeah, they show movies. And obviously that's an important thing for a film fest to do, but that's not what makes the film fest so great. Mm-hmm. It is the experience and and meeting the people involved with it and just having that shared experience with everyone there that makes it so amazing. Yeah, it's interesting how often you'll find yourself torn between hanging out in the lobby and talking to people or watching a movie. It's like I came here to watch movies, but I really want to just hang out here with this these awesome people that I've met and just chat with them for the rest of the night. It's yeah, it's, and, it's by t- and by torn, what you really mean is uh, we've missed a lot of movies because we've just been talking to people in the lobby. Right, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, it, it's it's weird to go to a film fest and not watch movies. Um, but, but again, it's not just, like, standing out like, oh, I'm talking to these bigwigs. It's not about that. It's about talking to other people who genuinely love movies. And, yes, some of them are the people who are involved in making the movies that mm-hmm. you are watching or missing. But other times it's just talking to other fans and just talking to other people who share that love and you just get so into it that you're like, oh, crap, it's like two hours later now. We should probably at least catch the next movie. Yeah. But even when that happens, like, I never feel like I miss anything. And um, with this first wave of announcements, and we're going to hit some of those highlights in just a second, I am super excited not necessarily because the announcements included uh, like a, a huge wave of movies that I'm like, oh my God, I've been waiting for like the last 10 years to see this. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. It's about I love the Chat Film Fest so much that every single year my love for that film festival just grows and grows and grows to the point where like uh, it's only been four years that I've been going, four or five, can't mm-hmm. remember. And there's not been a year where I've thought to myself, yeah, this year was great, but mm, last year was kind of better. Like every year just gets better and better and better. It's constantly topping itself. It, it's constantly topping itself, but I think part of it for me, at least because it is so experiential and yes, movies are awesome, but it's about being there with other film lovers and um, just growing in, in that cinematic journey that each year starts with uh the previous year's excitement Mm. so like chat film fest 2020 is already better than chat film fest 2019 because i really freaking love chat film fest 2019 Uh. so like that is my starting point (laughs) 
So my excitement for 2020 is just building off of that residual excitement. Right. That's left out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, like it's, I got it's, it. it's not replacing the experience. It's growing. So it's kind of like, uh, since we're talking about love and monsters, it's kind of like how when, when you are in a uh, long lasting loving relationship, your love for that person grows more and more each day. Mm-hmm. Even when you are super pissed at them and like, man, today was a really crappy day. You still love them more because it's just growing on each of those experiences. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, today was a crap day with this person that I love who somehow deals with my crap. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. That's ha. Uh, huh. There are no crap days at Chap Film Fest. True. Um, but they do deal with our crap. Yes. <laughs> they do and put we thank up with them us. For it. <laughs> And uh, and somehow have been able to keep them as sponsors for, you know, a few months. A few months yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there this year. They'll be like, oh, uh, forgot to tell you guys that you're not invited this year. We're gonna, we're gonna go to pick up our passes. They're gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Who did we delegate this responsibility to? <laughs> fire them <laughs> so yes uh chat film fest it just gets better and better and better because those experiences grow and grow and grow and some of it is because you know like people that you meet the previous year then you get to talk to them again um some of the people that we talked to at chat film fest this last year we had met at knoxville uh during the knoxville horror mm. film fest and so there's just this community that even if we only talk to them a couple of times a year, it feels like seeing like your closest friends or like mm-hmm. a, a family reunion. And we've not even touched on any of the movies and I'm already <laughs> talking about how excited I am no. again, just because of that experience, uh, which is coming up in, in like a month and a half, April 16th through 19 in Chattanooga, um, Tennessee. Can't wait. At yeah. Songbirds. Songbirds. Because they have a new venue this year. They do. Uh, rather than being up at the Chat- Chattanooga Theater Center. I need to think about my words before I open my mouth. Rather than being at the Chattanooga Theater Center um, this year, uh, CFF is going to be on the south side of Chattanooga at Songbirds. Get music guitar thing. <clears throat> guitar museum. Songbirds Guitar Museum. Yes. It's a guitar museum <laughs> in Chattanooga on the south side. And I've not been there yet, but it looks super rad. And uh, even just looking at the little like promo video that they have on their Facebook page, it's like, I want to go to there. Yeah, it looks really fun. Like it looks like a, a like a really fantastic setup. Um, and it's also a lot closer to kind of like the heart of Chattanooga, I guess, where like there's there's a lot more going on in the area, I think, which is really, really cool. Yeah, it is like right next door to, to the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, whether or not that's a thing that's actually worth going to, like it is so iconic about Chattanooga that most people, if they've never been here, like, oh, I'm from Chattanooga. Oh, the, you got that train thing, right? It's like, yes, the Chattanooga <laughs> Choo Choo. Oh, that's cool. So, like, even people who have never been to Chattanooga, that's one of the things that, right. that they know. And so, yeah, like it does feel like it's more just like, like chattanooga e, mm-hmm. even though every year prior it has also been chattanooga e, and that's um new that is gooey. one of the things n- yes chattanooga e it is new gooey not old gooey <laughs> that, that's one of the things that i'm actually the most excited about with it being on the south side 
is with the venue changing, not every single year. It's not like it's just a constant um, rotating, just like, where are they going to be this year? But with it... Um, with it, having been, with it having been in movie theaters and at the Chattanooga Theater Center and now at Songbirds, I feel like um, it's just spreading the love of Chat Film Fest around Chattanooga yeah. and kind of giving people a, a newer experience. Even if they've been here every single year, this is something that's going to help change it up a little bit. Give it uh, gives you know, more visibility bit, and yeah, yeah, give it kind of a, sp- a fresh spin on things. So I am super excited about the change of venue. Um not that I didn't like the ones before, because, man, Chattanooga Theater Center was right next to Sushinabe and right next to uh, Taco Nuga and the, right next to the uh, the hot dog place, the Chattanooga Dogs. What? I forget what it's called. I, that's so funny, because I was just thinking, like, the, the name is really, like, <laughs> unique. Like, I feel like I should know this. I can't remember. Yeah, they, they have hot dogs, and they're delicious. <laughs> so as much as I love the North Shore, also super excited about it being on the South Side. All right, we should probably like mention some of the actual movies before we talk about the, uh, the the movie for this episode. Yeah, let's do it. What's the opening night movie, Nathan? The opening night movie is going to be um, Synchronic. Is it Synchronic? That it is, is Synchronic. The opening... Yeah. I see. I was just looking at the list that they had <laughs> said. I wasn't actually <laughs> looking at the order of them. The opening night movie is Synchronic. That ties very nicely <clears throat> into our last episode. It's almost like we planned on doing a it is. Benson really, and Moorhead. It's really weird huh. thing. Yeah. But yeah, Synchronic by uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead is the opening night film, and I am stoked to see this movie. I, as soon as I found out that uh, Benson and Moorhead were doing another movie, like, I just, I knew it was going to be at Chat Film Fest because uh, all of their previous films had been. And so, like, it just made sense, mm. even though I didn't know. It was just like, I mean, come on. How, how is it not going to be there? Yeah. And so, uh, it, yeah, in, in preparation for CFF was like, it's it's got to play. I mean, it's just got to. So getting the announcement, it's like, well, yes, of course, it's going to play there. I am so excited for this movie. In part because we just talked about spring, and in talking about spring, we went back and rewatched uh, or watched slash rewatched the endless and resolution. So, like seeing their entire filmography uh, in such a short period of time, it's like I I need more Benson and Moorhead films, and the the storyline of this one, which um I I, I think some of this. I'm pretty sure that this has been announced. I know I've heard it from other people, so it's not like this yeah. I mean, insider. it's already it's played. It played at like Toronto and a few other places. So the synopsis is kind of out. It's out there. Yeah. Um. Some of the synopsis. I don't know if like the biggest thing about the synopsis or the biggest plot point is uh, is out there or not. <clears throat> um. But they talked about it on Shockwaves, so I am assuming that it's not like proprietary information. Uh. It's about two cops or two EMS workers. Yeah, they're EMS workers. EMS, okay, two EMS workers in New Orleans, and they keep getting dispatched to uh, to these people or, or just to missing people. They keep getting dispatched because of a, uh, a street drug called Synchronic that transports people to different points in time. Like, mm. I... God, I love that. I love that so much, and and especially with what we've just watched with the, the Endless and Resolution... I cannot wait to see how they handle not just someone being within a time, but someone being out of a time. Out of time. And it sounds fascinating. Like there's yeah. actually, it reminds me, um, this, this, uh, new series of Watchmen has, um, 
has a similar sort of uh, subplot about this drug where it allows you to experience your memories over and over again. Like mm-hmm. you can bottle or you can put your memories into pill form and take the pill and experience them. And they, uh, there's a really fantastic episode. I'm not going to give anything away about it because it's just incredible. But there's an episode that is about that. And it is fascinating the ways that they play around with that and experiencing memory and being in a different time period. And I, I feel like Synchronic's going to touch on some pretty similar stuff. And I, I love, I just love these kind of high concept sci-fi things where you can really go in and explore all kinds of different themes. And and it's got like, compared to their other movies, it's got a pretty big cast. It's got Anthony Mackie and Jamie yep. Dornan in it. So it's, yep. oh man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this movie. I, uh, really quickly, um, with the, the Watchmen thing that you were just talking about, I want to know if someone creates a memory of taking a drug of their memories, like, do they start getting into a memory loop? So like a, a memory loop or even like a memory within a memory. Yeah. Like very like inception. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's. It, I don't know. I, I've not seen a trailer for Synchronic. I've um, I, I've you know seen a, a couple of the interviews that have been done after some of the film fests. Uh, so I don't know too much about like the specifics of the movie, but based off of their other films, I don't expect it to be uh, like Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court or like um, Army of Darkness, where like it's too gimmicky mm-hmm. or like too much of a clash of cultures. I have a feeling that it's going to feel very, very genuine and it's not even necessarily going to be about like the time period that people go to, but more about um, just experiencing being out of time and the the effects that it has on you and the consequences that it has. Mm. And I, I cannot explain how excited I am about Synchronic. Oh, absolutely. And I love the fact that that's the first one that they're showing. And it would be super awesome if they play it like five more times throughout the film fest. <laughs> but like you have to have other movies. I was, I was going to say take a drug before watching oh, it so that saying. like you're, yeah, going, you're back going back and, and forth through time. Yeah. Yeah. But we are not, <laughs> we are not condoning drug use on this podcast. <clears throat> Next mm. up, we're not condoning it. We're not condemning it if that's what you're into, but we're not condoning it. <laughs> Next up is going to be uh, a, a remake from Fangoria, Castle Freak. Yeah, I've never seen the original Stuart, Stuart Gordon film. Neither have I. That is still one of my blind spots. But, I think we're going to have uh, to do an episode on it now. Yeah, we, we really are. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good thing that it's on shutter and in it my is, bag right yeah. now. And in your bag. <laughs> <laughs> Just carry it around with me everywhere I go. When I got just the, in case when I saw the announcements, I was like, all right, got to dig that one out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, now I'm carrying around Castle Freak until I have a chance to watch it. Um, yeah, the original Castle Freak was uh, directed by Stuart Gordon, starring Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. And it just got it looks like so much fun. And I can't wait for us to actually cover it. The remake, uh, Barbara Crampton, I want to say, is one of the producers. She's a producer, yeah. yeah. So she's going to be involved in it. And um, with the other things that Barbara Crampton has been involved with, she definitely gives respect to um, she definitely gives respect to the genre and to film. And so I don't feel like this is going to be a cash grab, especially because the original Castle Freak was a full moon feature that I didn't even know about until just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's my own lack of horror knowledge, but it's not like it's, uh, you know, like a major film that you shame people for not having seen. It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I saw that. That's cool. 
seems like the perfect kind of movie to remake to to do a reimagining yeah. for where you are really like you can make your own thing but also draw more attention to the previous iteration um that a lot of people might not know about yeah so i'm, I'm really looking forward to that one it, just like what's going to happen with us where we're going to be drawing attention to it because <laughs> when we saw that that was going to be playing we're like well now we have to watch it yeah absolutely uh, then there's going to be um, another movie that I want to come back to in just a second. Uh, there's going to be a documentary from Rob Galuso from Shockwaves um, called Analog Love about mixtapes. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm at a weird age where I am old enough to remember mixtapes. And I made mixtapes in terms of just like my own personal collection. Mm-hmm. But I was too young to make mixtapes for other people. Yeah. I'm I am old enough uh, or young enough or I am at the age where I made mixed <laughs> CDs for people. Yeah. So too. like I do have that experience of I'm going to compose my own album and what story is this album telling mm-hmm. and you know like giving it to a girlfriend where it's like okay how do I express that I'm interested without it being like super gooey and like <laughs> how do I say I want to date you without coming across as you know like super yeah. upset how many how many blink 182 songs is too many on one cd <laughs> on one mix cd four uh yeah 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 it also depends on how long the cd <laughs> is and and that's one of the things um that i'm actually uh really interested about watching with this documentary because even in the trailer they're like you have a limited amount of time i didn't actually think about that but on a cd you know like you could do compressed files or you can uh sort of modify the actual file size um you know for for different qualities but you could fit more on a CD, not just in terms of actual data, but you weren't necessarily restricted to this is a 60 minute tape. Well, yeah. And if you have a tape, <clears throat> the tape, you have to actively listen through it as yeah. it's recording. Whereas with the CD, you could just drag and drop it onto your computer program to burn it. Yeah. Um, but with a the tape, there's this extra layer of like, you have to sit through this big CD or mixtape yourself while you're making it, which yeah. is kind of kind of an interesting little like it, ma- it just makes it more personal i feel like well and like how much time do you put in between the songs mm. uh you know like making sure that feels like there's a lot of pressure <laughs> there's a lot of pressure making sure that it doesn't end halfway between a song but also making sure that you don't have like two minutes worth of just nothing at the end like making a mixtape there was so much more that actually went into uh like crafting a great mixtape that unfortunately I don't have those experiences. So I'm super excited about this one because it's something that I'm familiar enough with to be interested in, um, but also blind enough to that. I feel like it's going to just open up new experiences to me. Uh, There's also going to be um, (laughs) the vice guide to Bigfoot, which is a, sort of making fun of the vice documentaries because even in the trailer uh they say something about like uh from the company that has 11 documentaries about vaping so so it's making fun of vice uh and and it's just a couple of people going out searching for bigfoot and and it looks really funny um during the trailer you do see bigfoot and in the trailer, you see Bigfoot knock the head off of some dude. So <laughs> that's the only little bit of gore that you see. But, I, man, I'm hoping that it gets just, like, super gory towards the end. It, it could be, like, Man Bites Dog with Bigfoot or something, maybe. <laughs> like, I love the idea of this because I, I, like, I actually like the Vice documentaries. I mean, I think most people do and have watched, you know, quite a few of them. But it's just funny to – it's it's such a uh, – it's very ripe for – 
parody yes. i think and uh i just i love the idea of it. it the the vice documentaries remind me of someone who uh like when they're talking what they're saying is factually accurate but they're just so douchey that you hate what they're saying. <laughs> like, I kind of get that feeling when I watch some of those documentaries. It's like, you know what? This is really fascinating information. Why am I mad at them? <laughs> Who does this guy think he is? Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're pretty. They're pretty. It's, sometimes it feels like so self-serious, too. Like, depending on what topic they're covering, it just it almost feels like a parody of itself at times. And that's why yeah. it just feels so perfect for this kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm I'm excited about that one. Uh, next up is an Indian sci-fi drama called Cargo. Uh, th- I do not know much about that other than it's in space and mysterious cargo show up. And so my assumption, with very 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 limited information, uh, like I, I lo- looking at the description right here, all that it says is. Uh, uh, just blown away by the cunningly crafted minutia of the world she uh, conjures and it takes place in space like there, there's hardly anything that's actually provided there good I have a feeling that the mysterious cargo that is showing up is going to be things that like are very personally related so like maybe a dead grandfather shows up and it's like what mm, how could this be because since it's a sci-fi drama and not a sci-fi horror yeah I'm expecting them to be dealing with a lot of very personal experiences rather than just how did this giant tiger show up? I I'm expecting it to be much more emotionally wrought and just, uh, just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. More of like an ad Astra style movie. That's not like a big, you know, like have to blow up an asteroid before it hits earth kind of sci-fi movie. It's going to be a lot more rooted in character drama, which that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. So super excited about that one. All right. Before we talk about the last movie that was in the announcements, uh, there's also going to be events, um, Shockwaves and Nightmare University by Rebecca McKendry. Um, there's going to be live podcasts from both of them. Mm. Nightmare <clears throat> University is going to be covering uh, the films of William Castle, which yes. is a really fascinating subject that I have only barely scratched the surface on. I've never seen any of his movies. Um, and I am so interested in seeing some more of those. Uh, are you pulling out the 13 ghosts remake no. oh you have the original one okay i saw the remake but you have the original one there too okay cool <laughs> because that's, the remake that's what i do when uh cff makes announcements i <clears throat> start rooting through my movies to see <laughs> what i have that relates to it uh yeah so rebecca mckendry is doing um a william castle episode because there are going to be a lot of william castle infused um experiences god that is during so this awesome. year i'm so excited about this i've i've heard I'm about so people curious. going to i've heard about people going to like um screenings of the tingler and like how they'll try to recreate the gimmicks and stuff that castle has done and that just sounds like an absolute blast and you know they have like the skeletons hanging from the ceiling and they have the buzzers under seats and stuff so i'm curious to see what kind of if there are any similar hijinks going to be happening at the film yeah, festival. I cannot wait to see what happens. Um, <clears throat> one of the other events, uh, um, crap, where was it? I lost it. Oh, the session, um, which is Christian James hand, uh, a DJ in LA has been doing like track by track breakdowns of like, like just iconic albums and songs. And so he's going to be there and that's pairing with analog love. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's, God, that's one of the things that I love so much about CFF. And we need to wrap this up so we can actually talk about the movie <laughs> we said we were going to talk about. 
I love the fact that the events that are planned tie into the movies rather than it just being, oh, here's a movie and then here's this other thing that you can also do. No, it's like you can watch analog love about music and then you can uh, go watch the session and get like some super mm. detailed information about music. Oh, man, we can, skipped over. Sorry, I just interrupted you. We did. We skipped over. Did you skip over it on purpose? Uh, no, pa- I'm. I am coming back to uh, to Rob Grant. No, no, no. The 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 there is a an activity that goes along oh, no, with no, yes. the Vice so, Guide to Bigfoot. So there is also going to be an activity with the Vice Guide to Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, where there's going to be a Bigfoot hunt in Chattanooga. Yeah. I, I don't man, know how it's going to work, but I am fascinated. I, I'm assuming it's going to be some kind of scavenger hunt, finding clues and trying to find. I I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But uh, Chris, if you're listening and you're still trying to work out the details of like, crap, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I think that you should get the various bars in Chattanooga to have Bigfoot themed drinks. And like <laughs> people have to go to a, those a bars. Yes. For Bigfoot drinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that, like, by the end of the night, uh, if you found all of the clues, then you are Bigfoot. You are, <laughs> are going to be lumbering around. You are big drunk is what you are. Yeah, at that exactly. Point. <laughs> I feel like that would be a lot of fun, but also um, maybe a little irresponsible, but maybe I mean, a lot irresponsible. But I mean, you know, you got to have some anarchic fun every, exactly. every once in a while. I'm just, I am just super curious as to how this is going to happen because I have not heard of any sightings of Bigfoot in Chattanooga, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there has been Bigfoot. Maybe he plays for CFC with his big feet in soccer. CFC. Chattanooga Football Club. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's yeah, I've never soccer. been there before. No, it's big, football. With a big foot. You, what? He, he would be a good soccer player with his big feet. Oh, okay, yeah. But he would probably wouldn't be very fast. You don't know that? He's got long legs. We should stop talking about this and move on. All right. So, (laughs) speaking of experiences, God, the closing night film, like the the thing that is closing the entire weekend, pretty sure it's the last thing the entire weekend. Yeah, it's closing that film. 65 Days of Static, directed by Rob Grant. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Grant directed Harpoon, which screened last year at Chat Film Fest, and it was one of our highlights. Oh, man. One of the best movies that I watched last year in general, not just at the film festival. Yeah. It's so it, good. God, it was amazing. We covered it during our Two Guys, A Girl in a Bad Situation episode. Mm. I don't remember if it was part one or part two. I think it was part two. But uh, yeah, that part two. movie is so good and funny and gory and just, God, I love it so much. I don't know anything about 65 Days of Static. Nothing that I've read so far tells me anything about what the movie is about. However, I do know that this is literally going to be a once in a lifetime experience. I was thinking about that this morning. Like every movie that you see for the first time is a once in a lifetime experience because you can never watch it again for the first time. Right. Or you can never watch it for the first time again, I should say. Mm. But you can still go back and watch it. Your experience might change. So it's not going to be like the exact same experience. But, you know, like Shape of Water, which we'll get to, I promise, in like two minutes. Uh, I've seen it before, and so I saw it again. And even though I forgot some things, it wasn't the exact same, but I was still watching the same movie. For sure. 65 Days of Static is a movie that Rob Grant created that after it screens at Chattanooga Film Festival is going to be destroyed. Yes. This is a literal once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Not like going on the festival circuit and being destroyed at the end of that. This is, if you are not in Chattanooga, April 16th through 19th, 
<clears throat> and you do not see this movie, you will never see this movie again. It's a pretty fascinating kind of, uh, I guess it's, I guess you call it a bit of performance art in a way um, that like it's kind of commenting on how disposable media is and how so many people, you know, you can just hop on Netflix and throw some Netflix show on in the background and not really pay attention to it. And it's like, it's so much of the content that's out there has just become noise. Yeah. And this is like, I, don't, I, I just find this so fascinating that he is literally creating something that is literally disposable. Yeah. I keep going back and forth on this. And once we see it, because there is no chance that we're missing this. Like, even if I have the flu, I will quarantine myself, like, in the back corner with, like, you know, duct tape over my mouth and whatever. <laughs> I am not missing this movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Both of us, apparently, are still struggling with getting over our own colds. Um, th- th- there's no way that I'm missing this movie, and we're gonna, definitely going to talk about this more because I still need more time to process this. Mm. But even in the short time that it's been since I first found out about the fact that there's going to be a movie that is going to be destroyed till us talking about it. Now I've gone through so many different thoughts and emotions. Like my initial reaction was like, what? No. How could you destroy a movie? Like, like, like you, how is this respecting cinema? It's, it's <laughs> film. How? No, it needs to be shared with respecting the, the artist's intentions. Nathan, it so, was made to be destroyed. So, that was my initial reaction is just, what, how could you, this is blasphemy. Instantly. I can't wait. To, I can't wait till he like is about to destroy it and you run up and like in slow motion tackle well, him and stop him from destroying the movie. Well, here's the thing uh, is immediately after that, my emotion was, man, that is punk as fuck. And yeah. so like that was the instant reaction. Just like, how could he? Okay. That's pretty awesome. It's. And, and then yeah. like. God, I have had so many thoughts. Like, part of me thinks that it is uh, just amazing because, you know, like, when you think about theater, when you think about um, not theater as in, like, a movie theater, but when you think about dramas and, uh, like, actually watching people on stage, you know, up until fairly recently, those weren't necessarily recorded. So, like, those were disposable Mm -hmm. um, entertainment where people spend a lot of time practicing and a lot of time rehearsing and learning those lines to put on, like, five shows and never to be seen again. And so, like, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into making a movie, but to me, it was along those same lines of this is a performance art. It almost kind of harkens back to, like, early days of cinema where you could only see a movie in the cinema and then it left and went somewhere else and you never ever had any idea when you would ever see it again if you could ever see it again yeah because like there wasn't such a thing as home video until mm-hmm. what like the, the 80s probably I, I don't know i don't know my movie history i don't know when it happened <laughs> maybe we'll touch on that during our decades episode when home cinema actually became a thing but yeah like you went to the theater you saw a movie most people only saw a movie once and that was it like you didn't keep going back and rewatching the same movie <clears throat> you didn't have a chance to uh, bring it home on VHS or DVD or, or Blu-ray or you didn't have HBO. And so I, I love the fact that it is tying into that history of, the, again, that cinematic experience. Um, my, my dad's an artist, and so I've grown up. He, he is not a performance artist, but just going to different museums and stuff, there has been performance art that even when I don't get, like, I've appreciated. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing here. It's like, yeah, there's a performance art piece that, man, whether or not I agree with it, I, I get it, kind of. Um, 
But then in one of the uh, one of the comments that Rob Grant made in the press release where he talks about the disposability of of cinema and along the lines of what you just said of, you know, things like Netflix have turned movies into just noise. Mm -hmm. I I, I subscribe to Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Shudder. And then like there's free services like Vudu and Tubi and um crackle and crackle so like just there that's almost 10 streaming services i have in my personal collection between uh, vhs dvd and blu-ray over five thousand movies i have way too much access to movies yeah it's fa- it's kind of fascinating i feel like i have a compulsive need to watch movies where it's like in the <clears throat> process of watching a movie i'm sitting here like okay i just want this movie to be over so i can move on to the next one right and even if i didn't have this podcast i wonder how much of the movies i would actually retain and actually digest rather than just like consume i mean just consume it, i mean that's yeah. really all, all i can like, it, it, it's almost it. like reading for uh for a class where you're not actually reading to learn you're just i gotta get through the end of this chapter because that was the assignment yeah yeah we're like you are just consuming the movies to say that you have seen them but uh but part of what what i was thinking about in terms of just all these access to streaming services all of the physical media that i own i have no idea how many times i have sat down to uh to watch a movie and I would just get overwhelmed with the options and movies would get lost or like I, I would say to myself, oh, well, I can watch this whenever. So I'm just going to watch this instead. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, yeah, I have it. But it, somehow, even in having it, it has become disposable because like now I just have access to it. And and so it's so easy for me to pass up on watching things that I really want to see just because I don't want to watch it right then yeah. i can't tell you how many times i've like searched for a movie forever and then i finally find it somewhere and i'm like oh cool there it is and then i don't watch it because i'm like yeah. there it is i've got it now i can do it whenever i want i just needed to know that i can watch it whenever yeah. i want to well even with the endless uh, i started watching that on netflix and it wasn't until <laughs> i was searching for uh for the shape of water this week that i was like oh crap i have a blu-ray of the endless <laughs> i forgot that i even own this movie that i love and so when when i realized that and i think that was the moment that it really hit me of yes there is still part of me part of my heart that breaks that there is a movie that is going to burn or destroy i don't know the specifics of how it's going to be destroyed but well, a no, movie they, that is going to destroy they said that whoever asked the best there's going to be a q a afterward and whoever asked the best question gets to determine how the film is going to be destroyed I that's what that's what yeah chris, i don't i believe chris dortch said on twitter so yeah he yeah yeah he posted it. in one of the facebook comments because uh, yeah. there were a lot of questions like can i keep it just no that's, you're missing the entire <laughs> point uh so even though part of my heart breaks there's a huge side of me that is like this is forcing me to experience something i can't go to the bathroom during the movie because i will never have a chance to <laughs> to, to watch what i missed even if I am in the most fascinating conversation of my life, I will have to cut it short to go watch this movie. Like it is going to force me to slow down and experience something. Uh, and it reminded me of just another meme on Facebook because of course, where it was like, I don't know, like some marathon or something, but there was a picture of uh, just a crowd of people and all of them had their phones in front of their face, except for this one little old woman who was actually watching what was happening. Mm-hmm. And she was the only one who was smiling. Because everyone else was, you know, like trying to make sure that they had the shot, trying to make sure that someone wasn't in the way, trying to like they were watching yeah. it 
through their phone. So even though, yes, you are there at the event, you're not just like holding up your phone and still watching it. You're looking at your phone. You're watching it. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's why I don't take pictures very often because it feels so important. I feel like I'm missing the thing because I'm too busy trying to capture it. Exactly. Yeah. And so that little old woman is the only one enjoying and embracing that moment because she's not trying to capture it. She's just experiencing it so that she can remember it. And I think that that is the thing that I am most fascinated about with uh, 65 Days of Static is I am going to be forced to experience and remember this because that's my only option. Yeah, it's it's impermanence makes it more important. It's kind of like our our talk last week about spring and mortality and how more like the fact that you are going to die is what kind of gives life meaning. It's like the fact that this movie is going to die is what makes the moment of watching it so special yeah um pretty fascinating i I also (laughs) i i do wish that it was going on the festival circuit though like that that is the one thing that i'm just like uh oh come on give other people a chance to see it like i be selfish for once nathan i look even if we can see it and that is good enough i am so excited about that tell people about it I, I do wish that it uh, at least was going on a circuit. It's a movie that's going to pass into legend and pe- eventually yeah. people are going to be like, so what actually happened to that movie? It's going to, I don't know. Be yeah, interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. What if it's actually just 65 days of static? <laughs> <laughs> just, just two months of. <laughs> the name is fascinating to me. Like the, the only thing that I know about, like there's a band called 65 days of static which they did. The only reason I know that is because they did the music to this PS4 game called No Man's Sky that is is pretty interesting that I that I used to have. But um, I did. I tried to do a little bit of research on the name because I'm like, where does that even come from? And apparently, the there was some kind of study or something. I can't cite specifics, but what I read was that apparently 65 days is the amount of time that you can listen to white noise before going insane fascinating so i like in my mind i feel like this is going to be some kind of eraser head style movie like some kind of like very experimental surreal nightmarish kind of thing maybe i don't know well that's, that's what i'm kind of hoping the, for but i guess we won't know until there there were April 19th. Uh, there were three pictures included in the press release one of them is Rob Grant sitting on the couch watching a bunch of VHS burn with yeah. whiskey in his hand? <laughs> Which, I mean, come on, Rob, make that your profile picture. Forever. I wonder if they shot it on tape, like did used a DV cam or something. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. It looks very. Ask that. Maybe crispy. that'll be the question to let Crispish. you <laughs> to let you destroy it. We're, we're gonna have to come up with questions. I know. I was just thinking about that. God, that's gonna okay. Uh, the other two images is uh, a dude sitting on the floor. And with white and noise in the background, with okay, a so we're blurry somewhere. TV in the background, obviously I'm showing white noise, and then a staticky image of him in the woods. Yeah, that's it. That, that is the that is the only thing that I know about this movie. Is it involves a guy with a beard <laughs> who has a blurry TV on the on the floor, and at some point he is going to be outside wearing a hoodie. Yep, that's it. That that is that should, the, that should be the synop- the plot synopsis. <laughs> that is the extent of my knowledge about the plot of 65 days of static all right we are going to keep talking more about chat film fest obviously uh i had a feeling that we basically just did a whole uh, did an episode for (laughs) an episode late no we are going to talk about shape of water we said we were going to we're already behind schedule we have to get back on track 
Uh, we're going to talk more about CFF in future episodes. Um, most of the oh, movies sure. that we talk about, or most of the episodes that we do during March, are going to be tied directly into CFF. Like, for instance, we're going to do an episode on Castle Freak. We're probably going to do 13 Ghosts or uh, House on Haunted Hill or one of the other William Castle movies. We are going to do things related to what we're going to see. Once the rest of the announcements come out, uh, that might dictate what movies specifically we cover. But Yeah, what um, about six weeks there? From March to midway through April. Yeah. So our our episodes well, are going to be. We we'll also have our decades episode too. So yeah. So we we're probably only going to have about three or four episodes uh, directly tying um, the movies that we talk about to CFF. So um, yeah, there's no way we can talk about all of them. This it's it's going to be a huge lineup. Okay. <clears throat> oh, there we can. We just won't we, make. We won't put you all through this. We won't. We won't make I you mean, suffer through we, it all. We have done daily episodes for two months. We did do that I, one time. I have. Oh, yeah, we yeah, that's not. true. I was there most of the time. We should though. probably start talking about Shape of Water. So the Shape of Water conforms to whatever container that it's in. Yes. Um, that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah, so if you put it in a mason jar, the Shape of Water is masony. Masony? Yeah. No, it's not jarry. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> Science lesson. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> oh man this is all right this is <laughs> all right same things that we've done on all of our reviews prior information how that shaped our expectations technical components emotional reaction uh rewatchability and recommendations and once again our love and monster series is love movies where romance is the central theme that just happened to have a monster rather than monster movies that happen to have a romance romance subplot yeah so prior information for shape of water what you got a lot um so the shape of water is <laughs> i originally watched Round. it in uh 2018 probably it was a 2017 movie anyway whenever it came out you saw right. it in theaters i don't need to get to this this in depth with it no. so uh shape of water was my favorite movie from 2017 it's one of the only times i can ever remember my favorite movie of the year also going on to win the oscar for best picture um although dude 2019 i watched parasite this weekend as well and fuck, that movie is incredible um Still so it. it might that might also be another case of just a few years apart anyway i'm off topic and there probably are parasites in water so parasites also take the shape of water i think they're a pretty fun double feature actually um in some very i'm sorry i'm just i'm totally trying to ignore what you're saying we need to talk about shape shape of water all right so I love this movie so much. I even read the uh, the novelization um, by Daniel Krauss because it's kind of fascinating because they Daniel Krauss and Guillermo del Toro came up with this idea together. Kind of they worked it out together. I guess it was del Toro's idea, but then um, they came up with the structure of the plot and then they wrote them separately. So it's not like Daniel Krauss read the screenplay and then wrote the novelization. They came up with the structure and then did their own thing. So, I mean, it basically hits all the same plot points, but things play out in a very different way. Like you actually in, in the shape of water, they, uh, uh, Strickland talks about capturing the creature in the Amazon and you actually see that in the novel. Well, you read that. Uh, novel. Well, yeah. You what, or you it. listen, if you're like me, listen to audiobooks. Unless um, you see it in your mind's eye. I mean, yeah, you see it in your mind's eye. Exactly. Um, so anyway, this is just kind of a plug to go read the novel because the novel is fantastic. It is so good. Um, 
especially for like a movie novelization. I feel like most of the time they're not that great, but um, <laughs> you obviously did not read the like children's book novelization of um, any uh, of the Star Wars movies. Well, no, I was going to say Jurassic Park in the 90s. That's mostly just pictures from the movie. <laughs> Do they already have a novel for Jurassic Park, though? Why would they need it? I mean, I guess it's the children's. Novel. Anyway, God damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the novel's fantastic. Um, and so this was my second time watching The Shape of Water. Um, Nathan, you're really trying to derail this. I told you I wanted to make this perfect and touch everything, touch on everything. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, all right, if, hold on. If I had a dollar for every time I'd said let that. me let me let me compose myself here. <laughs> While you're composing yourself, I'll go through my prior information. Well, hold on, hold on. I got this. All right, are you sure. So this is only it, the second time are, I've seen the are movie. You touch everything now. I got it. I'm touching it right now. Um, so I have to I have to set the scene here really quick for my rewatch because I feel like I rewatched this movie under perfect conditions. Okay. Were you touching everything when you I watched was, it? I was. I was, I don't even know how to yes and to that, Nathan. I'm not, improv comedy is not my thing. So, um. <laughs> you say, yes, just like Eliza. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that would, that would have been a good way to, to go. You were setting the with stage with your touching, yeah. boiling I eggs. And well, okay. I definitely didn't do that. But, um, so it started storming the other night and I was like, this is it. It is time to watch The Shape of Water. This is the sign from the universe. And I was sick. I was actually, I actually stayed home for work the next day. So I got up under the covers. I was running a fever, laid up on the couch in the dark with a storm going on in the background and watched The Shape of Water. And it was, uh, there's something about being sick and watching a movie that is such a wonderful experience for some reason. I don't know what it is, even though being sick sucks. NyQuil. I guess that's part of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe, but it's just, it's like, just, it just reminds me of being a kid and getting to stay home and like getting to do whatever and not doing whatever I want, but just watching movies, like marathoning the back to the future trilogy and stuff like It's just kind of magical. You had a much better recent, uh, sick experience than I did. Cause you were homesick alone and could actually watch movies. Yeah. I got lucky. I was the only one sick in my family. But yeah, I was it was just such a great experience. While my son was sick. And so I watched a ton. <laughs> Ton of Mr. Rogers. <coughs> Love Mr. Rogers, but I was like, man, I need to watch movies for the podcast. Rah, rah. Sure, dude, we're watching Rah, Rush again. <laughs> Same episode again? Cool. 20 times in a row? <laughs> All right. It's a good thing I like Mr. Rogers. Yep, let's do this. So, yes, you, you had a much better staying at home sick experience than I did recently. It was it was beautiful. It was a transcendent in, moment. In regards to movies. I got to spend time with my son. So, yeah. you know. That's good. What, what? <laughs> We need to just do it with different inflections every time. What, what? 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 All right. Before we derail this any further, Nathan, <laughs> what was your prior information and expectations? My, oh, I didn't, didn't get even, my, You didn't even tear it. No, my expectations was I was super scared that I was not going to enjoy this movie as much the second time as the first one. I was afraid that because the first viewing was so magical and I loved it so much that I was really afraid that on a rewatch, the, the cracks would show. Sure. And they... Did not. In fact, I feel like the second watch of this movie felt like an almost totally different experience and a much richer experience. Like this is one of those movies that upon a rewatch, I think you get <clears throat> so much more out of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my prior information is The Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it, it's probably oh, it's not my favorite universal monster movie, but it is my favorite universal monster creature. Mm hmm. 
love everything about the creature from black lagoon last year at cff when mallory romero was there with her book uh the lady from the black lagoon talking about uh, millicent patrick and that was one of the highlights for me absolutely love the creature it is god i love it even the super annoying music when the creature shows up and it's just that da-na, da-na, da-na. i hate that it's like hate the it only so thing much. i remember about the music of that movie i hate that and at the same time i also love it because of all of the universal monster movies that's the only song that i can actually remember so even yeah, though it's annoying <laughs> as crap i, I still remember it yep absolutely adore the creature from the black lagoon so rude (laughs) imagine watching that in a theater and it's like i just remember like that was i remember watching creature from the black lagoon really late at night the first time i watched it and i was starting to fall asleep for parts of it and every time that happened i'm like nope i'm awake now all right we're good we're good so it worked it it did exactly especially since it wakes you up for the fun parts when the creature's there exactly Absolutely love that movie. And the reason that is my prior information is because The Shape of Water is absolutely a sequel to The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, it totally is. Even like when you get the backstory with Strickland capturing the monster, it's still very similar to Creature. Although it's kind of like, it's like Creature from the Black Lagoon filtered through Apocalypse Now. It's 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 pretty awesome, but um, sure. but yeah, it's very similar. So yeah, uh, like even down to the fact that the natives worshipped it like a god, and they even reference a uh, reference. Uh, is it mud puppies? The little like fish amphibian things that can breathe both the air and water. It sounds and, sounds it's something like that. Yeah, what w- whatever it is that they reference. Um, in, in shape of water it's the same thing that they talk about at the very beginning of creature from the black lagoon so like it is obviously a sequel uh guillermo del toro has talked about his love of universal monsters so like yeah there's no way that it's not yeah he was in talks to even do a, a remake of creature from the black lagoon i mean that's what he did and basically. i mean yeah he really did he kind of one of the things that i love about the fact that it's not actually a direct sequel though is that First off, you don't have to have seen Creature uh, to, to appreciate Shape of Water, but also it's not trying to do a crappy remake. It is just, it, it is a different movie, and, and I love that, but again, obviously a sequel. And, you also get um, to do a whole new creature design, and man, the creature design in this movie God, is creature design. phenomenal. It Everything about this movie is phenomenal. Um yeah, so my prayer information, I, I had seen it once before. Uh, my wife and I went and saw it in the theaters, like right at the tail end of when it was there. We almost missed it in theaters, and I'm so glad that we didn't because I absolutely adore this movie. Like when I saw it, I, I, I'm, I'm just so captivated by this movie, and it draws me in so much, and I love everything about it. Spoilers, I love this movie. Um, and, and so my expectation this watch <clears throat> was... I knew that I love this movie and I knew that it was one of my favorite movies, but because I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters, I had forgotten how much I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there are other movies that, uh, you know, like the thing or evil dead that I don't forget how much I love them in part because I've seen them so much. Yeah. And in a few years, once I've rewatched shape of water a lot more then I probably won't forget exactly how much or exactly why I love it. But, like, I had forgotten just all of the just tiny details and all of the crafting that goes into it and all of the color design. And it is just, it is, for me, a perfect movie. And I forgot how absolutely amazing it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I Like, I've always, <clears throat> Pan's Labyrinth is one of my all-time favorites. Like I, it's, it's great. I adore that movie. It's one of the movies that made me appreciate international films a lot mm-hmm. more. 
Um, and I think it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's one of the movies that made me a cinephile. And after watching The Shape of Water, I'm like, man, that's a masterpiece. And it's only his second best film. Because, and to be fair, I haven't seen like Devil's Backbone sure. um, or Kronos. Um, I think I've seen all the other ones. But anyway, um, but after rewatching The Shape of Water, I was like, I think I might actually like Shape of Water more than Pan's Labyrinth, which oh, I absolutely. feel like a lot of people would say is kind of blasphemous. But man, The Shape of Water is I, just I so... I am not one of those people. The Shape of Water is just such a hopeful, beautiful movie. And Pan's Labyrinth is a, a lot grimmer. And so I think that's part of it. Um, to me, that's not even necessarily like what makes it so great. It's just, I don't know, maybe it is the theme. Maybe well, I think because... that it just speaks to me more it's because sure. I try to be a much more optimistic, less cynical person than I have been in the past. So maybe that's part of it. But I don't know. Maybe I need to just rewatch Pan's Labyrinth again, which I should do anyway, just in general, because it's phenomenal. But, um, but man, Shape of Water, I was just really, it really... As much as I love the movie, like you said, like it took me by surprise just how much I love it, even on a rewatch. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was, I started it not on my on my bigger TV, um, just because of you know like having to watch it during times when my son's asleep. Blah 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 blah. It's really difficult to watch movies with kids, dude. <laughs> you are preaching to <laughs> the choir. So last night after my son was asleep, I was like, "Crap, I have to finish this movie." Because I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it <laughs> tomorrow, uh, so I have to make sure to actually finish it. Um, and so so I went, went to the den, um, put it on the, the 4K TV, and and it was at night, and so, like, all the lights were off. I live in um, – I don't live in the country at all. Like, it's right in the middle of the city, but there's enough trees surrounding uh, that specific part of, of the house to where there's not much ambient light. Mm-hmm. So it was almost pitch black watching this movie. And yeah. like I, I felt like I was in the movie with them. And I almost wept with how beautiful it was. It's... And I was just like, it's not even a sad part of the movie. <laughs> and I just I just want to sit with it. That's one thing that's kind of funny. The first time I watched I it. I want to go buy it dinner. The first time I watched it as much as I loved it, I never really felt like I was on the verge of tears or anything like that. But I was just like, I was still emotionally invested in it, but it never made me feel like I was going to cry. Watching it this time, there were like four parts of this movie where I'm like holding back tears. Like just how god yeah, yeah. it's we, so good. we should right. probably yeah, get we into in. the uh, technical and emotional let's talk about and, why this movie moves us to tears <laughs> so uh th- this has happened on several other reviews that uh, we've done but the technical and emotional i feel like we are just going to go back and forth between them because for me at least and i assume for you as well so much they they just tie in together so much. Like I I absolutely love this movie on a very deep emotional level. But part of what draws me in so much is the technical proficiency. And then when I recognize like oh yeah that's great use of color and I'm uh, acknowledging here are the technical components that they have mastered. Like and that is why it brings me in so much. And and so there's just such a back and forth mm. that for me it's almost impossible. To separate it on this movie. In Other my mind, movies, it's easier, but man, with this one. In my mind, the technical is to talk about that kind of stuff and the emotional is more to dive into the themes a little bit more. That's kind of how the way that's the way that I was approaching this movie in my notes. For me, even that's kind of that, how you have to, I don't know. Well, and, and for me, even with that, because yeah, like I completely agree that that can be it. Here are all of the things that I love about the technical and then let's dissect my emotions about it. 
But even for me, uh, the uh, the themes come from the plot and the writing and the performance, which are all also still technical and the components. Extraordinary and production design. Oh my god! This movie absolutely <sighs> earned its Oscar for production design. Watching, especially watching some of the special <clears throat> features, uh, and and there's one thing in particular that I want to note once we actually is start it the talking wave? about the technical. Is it the wave? It is the wave. Yeah, oh my dude. god! I love the wave. Man, we just <clears throat> peaked so hard. <laughs> What? Dude. What? Peaked. We peaked on, the, on the microphone. Oh, we peaked so hard. Sure. <laughs> that is a technical. That's a bit of technical jargon for yep. podcasting. Yep. We peaked um, the pants. Dude, the wave yeah. is so awesome. All right. Yeah. Y- yeah. So uh, th- there is going to be a ton of back and forth and overlap. So we are probably not going to like actually distinguish when we go from the technical to emotional. We're just going to touch on all of it and and just rant and rave, not even rant. We're just going to rave and talk about how much we love it and all of the things that are amazing. And then we're going to get to the point of it is insanely rewatchable. Spoilers. Uh, All right. So with all that being said, let's get into this. Let's do it. Actually, you know what? Before we uh, really dive into the technical and emotional. Such a tease. Uh, I really am. So I th- I think that we're going to have to handle Shape of Water a little bit differently than we've done some of our other reviews. Not only are we going to be blurring those lines between the technical and emotional, but like literally every single thing, every single thing about this movie I love. And I could easily see us spending four hours talking about like every tiny detail this is a movie that we should do a commentary on because like (laughs) it probably took me this is a two-hour movie it's like right at two hours and i it probably took me like three hours to finish it because i kept pausing it to write down notes about almost every single thing that happened in the movie yeah (laughs) like i i wasn't pausing it too much but yeah i usually don't do that either like i usually don't pause movies to write down notes but this one i was like i don't want to miss a second of this movie because every was Aerosmith playing in your head every time. Don't want to miss a thing. Man. <laughs> don't want to miss a thing. Well, it's one of those things where like every single line of dial, every single thing that is spoken, every single thing that is unspoken, every single inch of the frame feels so purposeful. Yep. That like there's just meaning. It's just dripping with meaning. Yep. I mean, good choice of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got more. I've yeah. got more water puns. <laughs> it could also be a double entendre so um yeah there's so much that we could potentially talk about and i want to make sure that that we at least touch on like all of the different components Mm -hmm. of uh what is technically great and the things that we love about it so I, i think maybe we should like do that like let's start with what are some of these broad categories and then go back and dive in with all of the examples rather okay. than spending like a ton of time talking about three different categories and like, oh, crap, we've already done like a three hour episode and we need to cut this short. <laughs> yeah, this okay. thing's also great. And this thing's also great. So, you know, that way, at least the topics aren't being cut short. Just okay. maybe some of the specific details. All right. So if we're doing this inverted pyramid style, then here's what I'm going to go with. I want to start off our broad categories by talking about the broad categories. Yes, all of them. But but what I mean by that is this movie. One of the things I love about this movie is that it so fluidly <laughs> weaves in and out of different genres. Like, this is the kind of movie that genuinely feels like it is a movie for everyone because it covers so many different types of movies and is such a love letter to cinema in general. You're, you're laughing right now. So, you're, Nathan is trying so hard to keep it together. I don't know why. It's, 
We I told you I had water puns, dude. I've tried to prepare you for this. We have talked about this a number of times. Uh, we absolutely adore junk food cinema here at uh, Video Monsters. And this reminds me of the episode where Cargill had a bunch of puns, and it was kind of breaking uh, Brian's brain a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because usually you're the pun guy. Well, usually you hate my puns. <laughs> I don't hate them, but, but well, okay, no, I hate them. <laughs> I so love, here's so the thing, you... I love puns, just not always your puns. <laughs> my puns are the best. Okay, so let's 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 break this down yes. to every type of movie this is. It's a romance, for one thing. I think uh-huh. primarily it's a romance. Well, it that's is why a, we're covering it. It is a creature feature. Yep. It is a heist movie. It's a drama. It is a social drama. It's a period piece. Period piece. It is a um social commentary right it is at times a satire of uh kind of like the nuclear family sitcom style perfection that you used to see you know when people thought america was great again but really it was just a facade that you know white people put on because whatever anyway right it's a it's a satire of the leave it to beaver style america that everyone likes to think that the 50s and 60s were when they were anything but or or maybe they were only that way for some white people right yeah Um, that's that was uh what everyone wanted everyone to see like mm -hmm. it's just the outside not necessarily the inside um it is a cold war spy thriller which is awesome that is that's the most unexpected element of this movie the most unexpected element it is a musical it is a musical yeah no i that it it is a musical not just because there is a musical number which i love that musical number we're, it, we're, we're coming back a, to details we're, we are coming film, back sort of. we are coming well, back to really. details it is a musical because of just how strong the use of music is mm-hmm. throughout the entire film so even though there's only one time where they're singing and dancing it, it no, has there's more than all, that eliza's dancing quite often throughout the movie like they yeah but i the musicals are kind of used as a motif to show them that escaping is, from their But like her dancing, dire you know, like when she's dancing with the mop uh, there in front of the creature, that's more of just her expressing herself. Mm-hmm. Not so much like a musical where people are singing and dancing and like breaking from what you would expect from reality. Sure, sure. There's only one time where that actually happens. <clears throat> but it still has all of the same feels of, of a musical. But again, mm. we'll get back to that with our details. It's a workplace comedy it is a fairy tale oh yeah man i can't that was like the first thing i I meant to mention was it's a fairy tale because right from the out of the gate like it announces itself as a fairy tale which by the way um this is a disney movie because fox is now owned by disney (laughs) so i love to think of eliza as a disney princess and uh and the amphibian man as a as a charming prince Prince. yeah well they even talk about in uh in one of the special features how uh guillermo wanted to do a beauty and the beast style movie where he stayed a beast yeah where he's exactly which god so many themes that we're going to come back to uh (laughs) it is a foreign film yeah it is i mean that's that's not just because Guillermo del Toro made it. And because it's Canadian. Is it? It was primarily uh, filmed in Canada. I was, and I was focusing big, more Canadian on crew. Um, tying in with the music. The music to me feels so, uh, like it feels so very French. Like it, oh, yeah, it, it felt like watching Amelie. Yeah, it's like a, a Junet film. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. In fact, Ju- uh, uh, sh- what is it? What is his first? Anyway, um, Junet, who directed Amelie, accused Terry. Uh, 
Why did I say Tarantino? I'm all over the place. Del Toro of plagiarizing his films, which is... I wouldn't go that They're similar, far. but also I think that they are drawing from similar inspiration. Yeah. Like, that was kind of Del Toro's. He's like, you're not the first person to make a whimsical drama. Like, I mean, a whimsical movie like this. Yeah. It's kind of his defense, but... But yeah, I mean, it, it does have a very French, that kind of whimsical sensibility to it. Yeah. Where, it, where it's very deftly mixing like sweet, sincere things with some kind of horrible, awful things. Well, and also like Eliza is very quirky yeah. without falling into that manic pixie dream girl um, uh, trap, which, sure, yeah. which I love. Are there other kinds of movies that it is? It's an action movie at times. Uh, it is. Uh, I think my... Favorite thing is that it is a modern universal monster movie. Yes. That is really like, that's kind of how you encapsulate all of those things. It is a modern universal monster movie. <laughs> it is all of the things. So uh, there, there are probably other forms of movie that, that so it could many. be. Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, even just that, there was what, like 15 that we mentioned? And, yeah, and, the, and they even live above a theater, which I think is just... I love it. It, it. Oh my God. I love it so much. It is such a, it is such a, even, even the fact like their apartments are clearly like crumbling and not great places to live, but just like the way that the light shines up through the floorboards from the cinema and all that stuff. Like it is just so magical. Yeah. Um, which I guess would probably be a good way to segue into our first broad category, which would be the production design of this movie. Dear Lord, the production design. <sighs> All right. So we both peaked our pants uh, when we mentioned <laughs> this about the wave. And if you've seen Shape of Water, <coughs> but you never watched any of the special features, this might be something that you're like, what the hell are they talking about? But if you've watched the special features, then uh, then you know what we're about to say. In Eliza's apartment, the uh, the production designer. <clears throat> excuse me. One of these days, both Eric and I will be fully over our colds and you know able to talk without hacking into a microphone. One day, the uh, the production designer painted like this great Japanese wave crashing over the door of her apartment. And then they kept painting over it and plastering over it, and they kept just adding so many literal layers as they added uh, metaphorical layers to this film. Mm -hmm. And like once it's pointed out to you, you can still see just enough of it breaking through that you're like, Oh, oh yeah. You know what? Now I fully understand why her apartment felt so aquatic. I mean, there's other reasons as well, but like, that's just one of the biggest reasons uh, in terms of like, there's so, so many things that go into the details of this movie. Um, and I know that we're not getting into all of the details right now, but I, 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 that was one that I feel like we needed to talk about. Yeah, that, that is such a, that's such an incredible attention to detail. It's like something that most people wouldn't even notice, but it's still something that you, that you absorb, I guess, yeah. in a way it's like, you would never be able to see that wave under there. It's, it's, it's you soak it in. You soak it in. Exactly. That's right. Man, damn it. I should have had, I should have had that one. Um, but yeah, like it's like this big, beautiful Japanese. It's like the great wave off Kanagawa, I think is the the, the actual painting that it's that it would be based on. Um, and it's so beautiful. And then they just plaster over it and you can yep. barely just get like a little bit of it. So it has like this rich texture and history to it. And to kind of jump off of that, like. I, one thing I love about the production design is the way that every single character, all of their homes feel very like it. 
the characters are fleshed out so well just in just by looking at the spaces in which they live. It's got yeah. this very like Wes Anderson does very similar things with his characters, but like Eliza's apartment has this very aquatic feel to it. And then you go over to Giles apartment and he's just very chaotic and he's got cats everywhere. And it's, he's got that big bay window where the lights come in. It's so sunny and inviting, even though it's yeah, his very, place is very warm, but at the same time, very cluttered. And so yeah. it's, it's a weird mix of, I feel safe here and mm. also just feel un- uncom- not uncomfortable, uh, but just there, there is a lot going on in his life and that is yeah. evidenced in, uh, in his apartment. Mm. And you've got Hofstetler and his, his place is very kind of drab and spare and not, he doesn't have very much in his house. It's very and cold, very cold. And I think my favorite, though, is the Strickland family home and the use of yellow, yep. where when he first comes home, it's like this like picturesque, exactly what you'd expect. Like the kids are running up to dad like, daddy, daddy, do you think we'll have jetpacks? And then the wife is all doting and having dinner ready for him and like, oh, I just love you so much, honey. And it's very sunny and warm. But like the more you get into it, the more that yellow kind of like turns against you in a way, like where it becomes, you realize it's more like a sour curdling kind of thing yeah. going on in the background where it's like, yeah, this is, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just so brilliant because it looks like the perfect nuclear family and it is anything, but I love how we said, we're going to avoid some of the details and then come back to them. But I know, it's I know. it's impossible sorry, for us to I'm do sorry. that. I'm, that's my fault. No, no, it's, it's impossible to do that. Cause like, as soon as we say, yeah. And this thing, so we're even going to be jumping back and forth between uh, giving a broad category and saying we're going to come back to that and just diving into things. Uh, but yeah, like with the uh, with the yellow, that use of color in this film, which yeah, I, I know is part of the production design, but uh, I, I would put that in its own separate category because it's not just the uh, the physical things in the setting, but it's also how is color being used to represent the emotions mm. and and what's going on and. I, I think Del Toro does an amazing job of like it's almost oppressive how pervasive the use of color is. Yeah. But not. You know, like it, it is so present to where if you've even taken like an intro to film class and you know, oh, sometimes colors are used in movies to evoke like it is impossible for you to miss this. Mm-hmm. But it's also done so naturally and so fluidly that like it, it doesn't feel like he's trying to make a point, even though he is very blatantly making a point. Yeah. Uh, and one of the times that I did pause it is, uh, is when it got to Strickland's home and I was like, okay, I know that color is representing a ton of things and I've already been picking up on, you know, all of the other colors in the other apartments, but I, I don't know what yellow stands for. <coughs> so I did just a quick search and one of the places that I found, and I've not done a ton of research. I don't know how accurate this is, but one of the uh, websites that I found had like uh, sickness and obsession mm-hmm. and naive as as the emotions that go with yellow. And I was like, yep, that perfectly explains the Strickland home. Mm-hmm. And like and what I love so much about it. I had those feelings and like, it's almost like I wanted to confirm just like, why do I feel so off yeah. about his home? Yeah. It's yeah. You get a ton of yellow things in in the sixties, but th- this just feels wrong. Yeah. That's the other thing. It feels appropriate to the time. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's out of place or anything, but at the same time it evokes so much emotion. That's like, I, I remember when the movie came out that there weren't very many criticisms levied against it, but I think, a lot of the criticisms were that it was very obvious in its messaging. I think like, like Strickland is a character who's very much uh, representative, like a, 
a representation of like toxic masculinity and exerting your authority over people and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But there are all these little details that still make him feel real. And to the point where it's like, I can see elements of Strickland in so many of the white men that I've encountered in my life. (laughs) And he, and all of those, I feel like a lot of those traits are present in just about any white man and ourselves included and they're things that we have to be aware of and and then michael shannon's just incredible i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself again so that's one of the other broad uh, categories uh the acting the acting is incredible uh, dude every single actor in this movie from even even like the minor characters like nick cersei as general hoyt is just like the most stereotypical swinging dick like military person you could ever expect where he's like count these stars son but he just plays it so beautifully he's incredible um sally hawkins as eliza is my favorite she has i think the most difficult well she and doug jones both have the most difficult job because neither of them can speak they're every bit of that well Look, for the most they, part they can speak their, their characters, characters can't speak. do not everything that they have to do is physical and you know sally hawkins is very much pulling from like the chaplain charlie chaplin buster keaton style of like physical performance where she's dancing and using sign language and my God. And, and we're going to come back to an example of okay. her physical acting. Again, such a minor instance, but it tells you so much. And there, there's just a ton conveyed in it. But we're going to come back to it. Just, and just think so, about some of these things we might forget, which is, I think, part of why I we know, keep diving into the I know. details. Think about, think about the fact that you're trying to make a romance that is between a woman and an aquatic creature. Uh-huh. And you restrict yourself to making a a purely visual thing like they cannot speak to each other it is i mean it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you almost have to do it that way to make it work but at the same time it's like that is such a difficult task to make you feel for both of these characters like you have to find the perfect actors for this and you have to be able to really sell this romance that so many people are automatically going to be kind of turned off from because it's like (laughs) like i get that he's a sexy fish man but, but th- which, which the production design uh, and some of the special features also talk about, like that was very intentional with making a a sexy fish man. Like, yeah, it's you're like, making dude, a he's, monster. He's, he's sexy. Like, let's be honest. He he's he's got a nice butt. I mean, they they really <laughs> made sure to. <laughs> he's got some great abs. He's got those the, abs, man. I mean, like so. It works, uh, but God, God, it, it's going to be so difficult for us to actually cover all these broad topics. We're we're just going to have to dive into these things as we go. Let's just do it, it, yeah. I just, uh, yeah. The the closest thing that I have to a complaint about this movie, and this like it's not even a complaint; it's just more of a, a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, every single performance in this movie, I think, is absolutely amazing. The the one performance that I still think is amazing and spot on, but in a way almost too spot on, is uh, Octavia Spencer. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, like, so many of her other roles have been, like, hidden figures and the help. And so it's, like, because she is still playing a sa- very similar to other roles that she has played, yeah. it felt almost like a caricature but but again not and that's like i i need to clarify this is not a complaint i do not think that she did a bad job i think she did a great job 
because she has done mm-hmm. so many roles of exactly that same type it it would be like if john cusack was in the movie and he was playing um, a guy getting rained on <laughs> a guy getting rained on while he's sad it's like well <sighs> yeah no I, no i get that but i think but, but it's, again not a complaint about her performance. there's literally even a line a, in the movie where uh michael shannon's like what am i doing interviewing the help but she's so good at it like it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's obvious but that's why she's perfect for it and she's so and i I love too that one of the things that octavia spencer points out in those interviews is she's like yeah the it's like she's like yeah it is very similar to other roles i've taken on but what i love about it is the fact that since the protagonist is mute and she can't speak almost all of the dialogue in the movie is coming from a black woman, yeah. especially for a film set in the sixties. Like that is even, even nowadays. I mean, like it, it is still unusual for that character to be, you know, the person who is actually speaking for the audience and on behalf of the audience in a way. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's great. Yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to clarify. And, she does a great job. My comment was not about her performance. Right, yeah. It, it's just seeing her in so many of those similar roles. Mm-hmm. And she got an Oscar. Just, no, she got an Oscar nomination. She actually, no, she won for the help. And then she got an Oscar nomination again for this role, which is kind of similar, but yeah. Uh, I also, but yeah, the, the acting is amazing. And all right. So since we're <laughs> kind of throwing our broad categories out the window and just diving into it as we go, <laughs> let's go back just a hair to, um, to Eliza's physical performance. And I don't, I just, I just need to keep IMDb up to Sally Hawkins. Sally performance. Hawkins. this also ties into just the writing and the humor and how the humor in this film is so natural and like this movie is funny but it's it's not funny funny with jokes it's funny with life and it's also sad and all right so towards the beginning when she's eating her cereal and she goes over to giles's apartment and he says something about uh, how cornflakes were initially made to try to keep people from masturbating. <laughs> and like, she just kind of stops eating it for a second and just like looks down at her bowl. Like, Oh, I don't want these anymore. I don't really. That? And, and then he's like, of course it didn't work. And she's like, okay. And she starts eating again. And like, it's such a short scene. And if it weren't for the fact that it was, you know, like right after her morning routine, it might not have been quite as blatant, uh-huh. but it's still, it, it's so subtle, but I love it. It's so, so funny. Like, it's, it's like, again, there's so many beautiful details in this movie. I love her routine in the morning and I love the, so mon- she. I love the mundanity of her masturbation scene. It is not a scene that is there to be sexy. It is like, yeah, this is just what she does. Like, yeah, this is just part of her it's life. While the eggs are cooking. To the, literally to the point where like she plans out when she's going to get off in the bathtub, like she can, she times it to her egg timer, yeah, which is so funny. And like, it is just, it just makes her sexuality. It's just a part of her everyday life. And I love the fact that everything in her life is so routine up to the point, like where she is, it is literally part of her routine to be late for work, <laughs> which is so funny. And like, it gets I have the, no idea what that's like. I love the, <laughs> I love the comment. Like she always has a uh, Zelda holding her place in line. And there's always that woman in the background who's like, I'm going to say something to so-and-so I'm going to report you. And then Octavia Spencer is just like, she's like, you do that. Yolanda, you do that. <laughs> like, it's so funny. <laughs> oh man. I love it. So while we're talking about uh, Eliza masturbating, one of the things that I love so much about just how this movie is handled is there's a fair amount of nudity 
And there are not like any graphic sex scenes, but there are sex scenes. This movie never feels like it's um, uh, it never feels like it is. It's not dirty or yeah, like it doesn't titillating feel dirty. It or, doesn't feel like it's exhibition. Yeah. It doesn't feel erotic. Like none of it feels out of place. The the closest to a like quote unquote dirty sex scene is when Strickland is having sex with his wife, but that's just because he is a dirty, dirty, gross human being. And it's supposed to make you it's supposed yeah. to be gross. It's supposed to be dirty because it's not a romantic encounter. It is this is Strickland literally just using his wife to get off. Yeah. And he's like holding his mouth over her, which uh it's so gross and so yeah. and the way that that ties into how he approaches Eliza later mm-hmm. and asking her about if she can squawk it's like he like he doesn't have he doesn't really want to have a connection he doesn't want his wife to speak to him he wants her to be silent and it's like because it, it's all about authority for him and, yeah uh, and, and about power and power yeah but like all of the nude scenes with with eliza like none of them feel like oh yeah it's just like oh that like that's sweet you it's know? very tasteful it's, and it's yeah. i mean it's it's sexy but in a way that makes sense for the film like it's it, designed to be it's sexy in a way that it is highlighting humanity and yeah. highlighting like people are people and people have natural desires rather than it being like, yeah, this is a horror it's flick, like, so we got to have some TNA. Well, it's like, it's like leveling the playing field between her and uh, the creature in the, the scene, the scene where they finally like consummate their relationship and they flood the bathroom is so beautiful. <laughs> and it's also one of those things that I love movies where they just flood interiors like as a kid i loved i love the idea of just like imagining my house filled with water and swimming in it and so like this movie i'm I'm gonna tell your kids that no i mean (laughs) you're gonna go home to a flooded house i just love it when movies do that in general like (laughs) titanic whenever the boat is sinking and they're inside and they're just covered in water i live for that shit like i I don't know what it is i just love that with you i mean it's kind of horrible to say it that way but i just love it from a purely visual production design standpoint you could have gone with you went with titanic well that's the one that just usually comes to mind when i think you don't go with big fish when i think of flooded set oh big fish that's a good one yeah you don't go with um uh uh brother war though the poseidon adventure stuff like that oh brother war that was a good one yeah there's you got some why, good ones. why are you going with i've seen death titanic destruction i've seen movies. titanic more than those other movies and i'm going with sweet fairy tale movies well i'm going i'm gonna go with the shape of water from now on because like i love it it's so great and then i don't know anyway it's a beautiful scene yes here here is how natural the nudity it, in this film feels i forgot there was nudity in it like, this is only the second time that I saw it, but, uh, like, and I was thinking, when am I going to be able to watch this movie? You know, my kid's only one year old. Ah, it's going to be it difficult. And a very adult movie. It is such an adult movie, but, like, it doesn't feel like it. I, I remember it. Yes, there are some scenes of gore. Even the, vi- yeah, not, even the not, violence. Not gore, but there's some violent scenes. No, there's some that, gore, dude. There's the scene where he... They're, they're violent. They're not gory. <laughs> but By the way, we forgot to throw up our spoiler warning, you know just uh, whatever this movie's uh, it's a few I, years old it's one of the like, highest grossing best picture winners in a long time so i feel like if you are watching if you're listening to this you kind of expect us to dive into the spoilers well and i feel like this is the kind of movie that someone who wants to have seen it will have seen it by now probably yeah like it's, it's not one of the ones where it's like oh yeah you know i've been mean checked that one out but and never got around to it i feel like this is a 
if you want to have seen Shape of Water, you have seen Shape of Water. So we're probably not actually changing anyone's mind with our review. It's more of just, hey, fellow Shape of Water lovers out there, come geek out with us because this yeah. is fun. Isn't it great? Uh, yeah, so like the nudity, it, it's so natural that I forgot that it was in the film. Mm. I remember that there was some violence. But like as I'm watching this, like, oh, right. Yeah, it starts out with Eliza getting naked. And yeah. then she is naked a lot and like completely forgot about it because it's not part of the movie. It's not like, Oh yeah. You remember that great sex scene? It's just, but it also feels very essential to telling the story. Like it does not feel like something that, I mean, like you said, it's not thrown in there. It feels like something that is needed for this story. And it feels the way that's presented also feels like things aren't being hidden rather Mm. than it being, Oh, this is a love story, but don't worry. We're not going to show the whole, you know, human fish sex acts it's like no this is a love story and we are going to show two beings in love and i love that not everyone loves that ben shapiro (laughs) god that is one of that's one of my honestly though one of my favorite things about this movie is how pissed off it made ben shapiro how much it pisses off ben shapiro like ah that guy what 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 was it that uh (laughs) oh i will i'm gonna give ben shapiro credit for one thing and one thing only and that is he made up a uh he made up a he meant it derisively but it's just kind of funny and i like i kind of like this but he uh, refers to the shape of water as grinding Nemo, <laughs> which is genuinely a pretty funny joke. So hats off for the one decent thing you've contributed to humanity and anything, Ben Shapiro. We, That's a very funny joke, but not in the way you intended it to be. We, we are not turning this into an episode where we talk about him. And in fact, I'm done even saying his name because that's all the credit he deserves. Um, I wonder if he thought about the fact that his joke um is more about pedophilia than it is about interspecies because nemo is a kid uh yeah i don't know if he if he probably just i don't know where he got it from he i, he, mean, I don't yes, think he, he thinks about the things that he says before he says them 90 percent of the time i don't think he thinks about them afterwards yeah anywho we're not talking about him shape of water dear god i love this movie all right so the performances we haven't talked about richard jenkins he as Giles. is perfect He's perfect. He absolutely deserved his Oscar nomination. He, my favorite, one of my favorite tiny little character quirks in the entire movie. <laughs> it's it's the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't notice, but when he goes back to the diner for the last time, because he's kind of like got a crush on the waiter there, and he finally has his moment where he can no longer escape like the persecution that he like. You got the scene earlier in the movie where you see like a news about the civil rights movement and he's like, turn that off. I can't handle seeing that. But then he's confronted with it in real life. And this is after he and Eliza have their big moment where she's, you know, yelling at him in sign language, which is so beautiful. And we'll have to go back to that in a minute. But anyway, he, uh, so much that I want to go back to. uh, Oh my God. The waiter, we we could do like an entire series on shape. The waiter kicks out the black couple. And then this is right after he put his hand on him. And the waiter is like, Oh, you have to get out of here. This is a family restaurant after kicking out a black couple. Um, and he's just so disgusted that he's, he's just taken a bite of his pie and he goes and he picks up his napkin and he wipes his mouth and then he wipes his tongue with the napkin to literally get all of the pie out of his mouth. Like that's just one of those moments where he's just so disgusted with 
both the waiter that he had a crush on and himself for keeping up this ruse for so long and not yeah. realizing like how stupid he's been. And then that's the moment <laughs> that finally gets him to like go along with Eliza's plan to get the creature. I don't know. It's so beautiful, but I just love the moment of him wiping his tongue with the napkin because nobody does that. But in that well, moment, it felt right. And and like, it, you know, they made it clear earlier that he does not like those pies because he has an entire yeah, he fridge has a, full yeah, of he's key just lime going pies. there for the companionship. The, yeah. The fake companionship. Which, God, that who that even scene, even that guy doesn't even have a real southern accent like everything about him is fake and so, oh. the uh, man the, the scene where richard jenkins <clears throat> finally expresses uh his interest and not even like well no he does express it verbally um but when he finally expresses his interest to that pie uh waiter dude and and he gets rejected and yeah the waiter kicks out that black couple like it is so heartbreaking, mm. but like I I feel so much for Richard Jenkins in that moment. Not him, but his character. Well, and he also it was right after he was rejected for the second time. His illustration where there's, that guy's just stringing him along over and over because they don't want to yeah. deal with him anymore. And uh, yeah, but it's it's such a beautiful scene, but it's so sad. And I honestly can't remember if I mentioned this at the very beginning, um, but. One of the first lines of the film uh, is when Giles is talking to Eliza and he's talking about how there's a chocolate factory that's on fire. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and he says, can you smell that? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Tragedy and delight hand in hand. Mm. And it's like, oh, hey, their description of the movie. And like <laughs> there, there's so, so many things about this movie where it is exactly that. Like it is a tragic scene when uh, – I don't think that they try to hide the fact that Giles is gay, but like when it is he, explicit yeah. and it's just like, that's he's tragic, very much in denial. I think of but, it, and, but it's but. still so heartwarming and it, everything about this movie. And that's one of the other uh, notes that I had is I described this or uh, how I describe this movie is heartwarmingly tragic. Yeah. Where like, it is a sad movie, but in a way that makes me happy. Yeah, not happy absolutely. about the sadness but it's it's so hopeful it's, and it's it reminds so me driven of, by love it's like and, a charlie chaplin movie ugh. where he does such a brilliant job of mixing tragedy and comedy yeah and those are those are two things that seem so like total they seem like total opposites but i think well, it's, they it's go so well hand in hand yeah absolutely um i mean those were the two original genres of 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 uh storytelling yeah tragedy and comedy um so yeah anyway um i love richard jenkins he's incredible he's the heart and soul of the movie in in some ways he's the one who is uh does the opening and closing narration so in a way it's kind of his story he like you i guess you're getting the story filtered through him in a way which makes the ending very interesting which we'll definitely have to come back to well and it also puts the entire story in sort of a um sort of a dreamlike state yeah. of how much of this is real you know mm. how much of this isn't just an old man telling a fairy tale yeah but like there's also that part of like of course it's real i, yeah. I don't i don't care how much of it is dreamlike i don't care how much of it is right. not reality it is real because it just is you know like when you're yeah. watching it well none of it feels like like the best I, way I don't even have suspension of disbelief of there being a swamp creature yeah because it's just like nope this this absolutely exists and they bet the best way they exemplify that is the way that like <clears throat> they use a fantasy sequence to showcase eliza's feelings toward the creature and like yeah. how much she wants to tell him she loves him but she can't because she can't speak and so they do that that just absolutely 
fucking brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, but that that brilliant uh, scene where like the light shines down on her and she starts singing and God. goes into that dance and it's like, yes, of course, this is how she would express herself because of how much she loves musicals and how much she loves to dance and that's the way that she and the creature connected that and hard boiled eggs. Right. Um, and I love the fact that that dance number does not feel out of place at all. No. And it part of it works. I, I uh, So I was going back and um, re-listening to our spring episode, and I had forgotten that I referenced An American in Paris. It just it, when I was talking about how short uh, of time, how short of time the, the, uh, the two characters in spring knew each other before they were falling madly in love and whatever. Uh, I referenced American in Paris as, you know, sure, older uh, Hollywood movies, like sometimes you do only meet this person twice, and then you're madly in love with them. But when I was watching Shape of Water, the first movie that I thought of when it got to that dance number is an American in Paris where at the end, where uh, Gene Kelly is expressing his his love, like they do like a 10 minute dance number. Yeah. And it's insane and beautiful and i love it they did, yeah it's like the singing it's like in singing in the rain they have yeah. that whole like there's like a 20 minute sequence that is just like him imagining that he's imagining a movie that he wants to or a musical that he's wanting to put together and there's like a whole 20 to 30 minute sequence of just that movie that he's imagining that he wants to write and it's yeah yeah and so the way that the dance number is incorporated <laughs> into shape of water it feels natural and it feels like the movie is actually from the 60s and i think that it's kind of ironic that two movies in a row like the first example that I thought of was an American in Paris. Mm. Um, but yeah, like that's one of the other things is this movie feels like I'm watching a movie from the sixties. Mm. It doesn't feel like a movie made about the sixties, everything about it. And it's very, sure, it very timeless. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like there's some things that I know wouldn't have actually been done in a movie from the sixties. And I know that actually highlighting, Oh, the racist is a terrible person. And mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't highlight homosexuality and the hero would have been Strickland with his strong jaw. So like, yes, of course there are some things about it that obviously wouldn't have been done in the sixties, but it doesn't feel like I'm watching a movie about the 60s yeah it's does, does, certainly does a sense? modern a modern day version of a film like that like i mean that's that's kind of like what we get to when we talk about how it being a modern update of a universal monster movie where they they talk about this in the special features but it's something i thought of like watching it too is it's like yeah if this were an actual universal monster movie strickland would be the hero yeah um Hofstetler, as a russian agent would be like completely villainous in every respect and he's kind of the good guy in this movie um, and I feel like even today, that is something that could be a point of contention for people where it's like, you can't have the <laughs> Russian agent be the good guy who wants to save the creature. Like he would be the one who's wanting to do the experiments. It's like, no, the well, U S not even the fact that he's I mean, a, a Russian spy, but also the fact that he is the scientist. He should yeah. be the one wanting to do all these experiments. He's, he on should it. have the God con- or like the, but yeah, he's the, the one complex. wanting to care for it. And I God, I, I loved that ever since the first time that I saw this movie, how it hits all of those tropes of the Universal Monster movies mm-hmm. and just old sci-fi horror movies. But with like it, it hits all those tropes, but it completely flips them on their head in terms of who is actually filling that role. Yeah. So Strickland is the monster in this movie, and he does all of the things that a monstrous creature would do right where it is about power and about revenge and about uh subjugating others and so like he does all of these things that are so monstrous and so villainous 
And and yeah, he in a movie from the sixties would have been the strong jawed hero. And and the creature is you know, he's he's caring and he's sympathetic and he's he's the savior mm. and And he's also a creature who eats cats. He is also a creature like, who eats cats. I, I love I love that this movie never really tries to um to like go for the easy drama where like you could imagine in a lesser movie where he goes and eats um pandora was the name of the cat yes. he literally opens pandora's box yes <laughs> um well he just eats her head he eats her head yeah um he eats the cat and like in a lesser movie giles would be pissed and in this movie he's like no he's a creature that's his natural well, instinct but but again god they handle it so well he is pissed and he's like no don't and the creature runs away because, like, there's this initial reaction. But well, yeah, then, he's yeah. But then he's, there's the thinking through where it's like, I, I mean, yeah, you can't stay mad at a creature for for being a creature. Like, mm. he needs to eat, and like, yeah, it sucks. But oh man, God, I love this movie. <laughs> what I love so much about that is even as he's saying that, uh, the creature is there, like petting the cats I know. and like there's that fear just like <laughs> he's is, sitting there is he just gonna like eat watching it very he... closely <laughs> but like the uh, creature also learned oh maybe i can't eat maybe everything I eat the cats yeah it's... yeah may- maybe there is a different relationship and god it's so beautiful because it also highlights in the same way that eliza is falling in love with with the creature or whatever his name is. I don't know if they ever actually they, give him a name. They, they call him the asset, really. In the credits, he's referred to as Amphibian Man. And then okay. in the novel, which is my favorite version, they uh, Hofstetler gives him the moniker the Devonian. Um, because he he looks like he is from the Devonian period. Sure. Um, where, like, the Earth was mostly underwater. Um, I like Amphibian Man just because the creature's name was The Gill Man, Man. Yeah. yeah. Amphibian Man's good. That's what that's that's the official name, I think. Okay. Uh, so, so, yeah, in the same way that you see this burgeoning relationship <laughs> between Eliza and the Amphibian Man and how you can't always judge things based off of what you might expect, it, he is also learning what I thought was food, this human also cares for. Mm-hmm. And they're caring for me. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't eat this thing that they care for. And and again, conveyed not through any language, not even conveyed through explicitly stating it. Like Giles doesn't say, oh, he must be learning not to. No, they don't explain it. They just show, I just ate a cat. Now I'm petting one because I'm learning yeah man doug jones doug jones he is the secret weapon in the movie because like you have to care about the creature for all of this to work and uh, dude i don't even know where to be like the the creature design is incredible his performance under all that makeup he has to swim and they talk about how when he's swimming he like ends up gaining like 60 pounds because the suit that he's wearing takes on the water and absorb like and the fact that he's able to do that and have such a commanding presence and be so scary and whenever he needs to be but also so gentle and it's it's just an incredible performance it, it, i hate that like award shows and stuff like it's the same thing that people have against like andy circus who doug jones is basically the andy circus of being under latex where andy circus <laughs> does motion capture doug jones is in creature suits yeah he does not get the respect he deserves because what he does is so much more difficult than i think he'll ever get credit for 
Um, it's, yeah, it he, is just he extraordinary. He is an amazing physical actor. But like that also brings up the uh, the technical component of the creature design and the use of practical effects. There there are so so many practical effects with only minimal use of like CG augmentation. The CG is basically just for like the eyes, like to because I love that he built he like has uh, lateral eyelids that yeah. blink sideways. It's so cool. Um, to give it a little bit of extra expression in the face. Uh, it's, that's it. Just the things that he can't do himself. Well, and, and they to can't do pup, like puppet. the amphibian of, you know, like that um, that membrane that goes across frog's eyes so they can see underwater. Or like yeah, crocodiles. Yeah, that's, 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 or, that's, that's what I Yeah. And, and, and God, I had so much. But even the lights on the suit are done practically. Yeah. They're done with uh, UV paint. Yeah. So like whenever this creature lights up, they're just shining a UV light on him, which I think is super cool because they couldn't put like electrical components in the suit. Like it could have, but well, like it, it would have made it bulkier and he couldn't swim and all that stuff. See what I did there? It would have been a short movie. Sh- oh, cause short circuit. Cause the, the uh, electric would, yeah, would have he, shorted out yeah. the water. Oh yeah. That's, that's clever. And also because you know, <laughs> It, it wouldn't have lasted I just like long. denying you the satisfaction <laughs> of, of getting getting any kind of <laughs> reaction from your puns. Uh, I'm just egging you on. Oh, okay. I like that one. That one's that one's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> you know what's you know what else is incredible is the fact that even the underwater Literally everything about this movie even the underwater scenes are done dry for wet. So like they're not actually shooting. I mean, obviously they're not actually shooting underwater. Right. But like they like that opening tracking shot through the apartment. Um, is was actually shot and they just projected uh, light in the room and yeah, they, they like literally like puppeted the yeah. pieces that are floating. It is just like that kind of attention to detail is just extraordinary. They, I, I can't even imagine like that. Somebody is that somebody like Guillermo del Toro is the like you have to be so dedicated to your craft to be willing to even try to do something like that. It'd be so much easier to just do it with in, in a terms, computer. And I, I, again, love the practical so but much. But not nearly as, wouldn't work nearly as well. The fact that they use as much practical as they do, there are two scenes to me where the uh, CG augmentation is noticeable. And <laughs> only one scene in the entire movie where I don't feel like it actually looks good, which really sucks because of when it is. Uh, when when she's in the bus and like she's moving her finger and the rain is following her. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is noticeably CG, but it doesn't look bad. I don't think that's bad. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I mean, that yeah, the, that definitely had to have been done CG. Yeah, so uh, that's only, such a great transition shot. The only time that I thought, you know what? Not only is this noticeable, but uh, I don't think that it looks that good. Is the very end scene with like her hair floating up? To me, it it just it felt really. I don't yeah. think it's that bad. Uh, it, it doesn't I, bug me that much. I, it's done with such a soft lighting and soft focus I was, I was that it, it on, works on on my big TV with the high def and the lights off and yeah. I mean, I've watched. Well, I mean, your TV is a lot better than my TV, though. Truth, um, <laughs> but but it it didn't look like bad. It just to me was the only part that didn't really stand. It's up, funny. But I also I have to just say this really quick. I love the I love it when movies when the uh, primary promotional art is literally like the ending of the movie. Yeah, that's so fun. That's so cool to me. Um, but yeah, the last shot of the movie is the thing that you actually see <laughs> on the cover of the movie. Um, man, so, okay. So many things about this movie. Uh, I, so major spoiler. But let's talk about the fact that Eliza is obviously a fish woman. 
Oh, man. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like, the way that they, like, subtly hint, because she's Eliza Esposito, so she is an orphan. Um, and they, the only they thing you learn is the they water? found her, or no, they in, found her in, in the water, water is yeah. what they said. They found her in the water. Um, she had her throat sliced. I guess they assumed that it was sliced, so that's why she is mute. But the movie really, um, not so subtly hints that she has always been some kind of sea creature of some sort, that she belongs to the sea, like yeah. that she was fated for this. And like, even, you know, what's cool is like, you talk about this, the scene where she, the water droplets are dancing. If you notice the very first time she is on the bus, she like leans her head against the window and it's done in kind of like a medium shot. So it doesn't highlight it in any way, but like the water droplets, when she leans her head against the window, they like start moving toward her very slowly and like Hmm. implying that the water is attracted to her Yeah, and everything like, yeah, it's so... This is one thing I love about the ending where it's like when those lines open up and show that they're gills, it's like, were they always gills to begin with? And I think yes, because it's some kind of evolutionary thing. It's almost like the the creature in spring in a certain way. Like that's I, I think that, yes, she has always been a, uh, a fish woman, but just on a slightly different scale from yeah. the amphibian. Man. Uh, <laughs> ah, see what did, I did, you, there? did you intend that? <clears throat> I intend everything. <laughs> But one of the main reasons that I think that they were always gills was uh, the amphibian man does not show any ability to create things that don't exist. He has an ability to heal. Yeah. So true. he healed her scars to open up the mm-hmm. um, the gills, which, dear God, I, this entire podcast is just me saying, dear Lord, I love this movie. I love so much. Uh, again, major spoilers, whatever. We've already said that. After he kills Strickland, which I know that you want to uh, come back to and talk about that actual death scene. Uh, I got to talk about Strickland more, man. Strickland but is fascinating. When he kills Strickland and he gives like like an exasperated and also relieved sigh and you see his breath. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know they establish he can breathe out of water for a limited time. But like to me, that was almost part of the adjustment of he's able to maybe be out of water longer because he wasn't mm. breathing through his gills at that point. It was a very solid like <sighs> yeah. breath and, and you see it. And again, subtle Even- acting, but it, God, it gives so much to this movie. Guillermo del Toro, uh, in the special features, he talks about how that's his favorite shot of the entire movie is that close-up of the creature right after he turns around. I I also love, there's like a Michael Myers quality to the creature after he kills Strickland where he kind of cocks his head to the side. Like he's just like very curious to as like watching Strickland bleed out, (laughs) which I love. (laughs) Um, Dude, Strickland is one of my favorite villains ever he is so amazing like everything about him again i I, so much i understand that he is very much a concept brought to life he is the personification of toxic masculinity is is kind of what i think of him as but he's so full of these like brilliant character quirks that route that just make him feel like a real person like his introduction I guess it's not the first time you see him, but it's the first time you learn about him as a character when he goes into the bathroom and just the fact that he like washes his hands before he pees. And then he has that whole line about about like whether or not a man washes before or after tells you a lot about his character. Yeah, it's so funny. And like he pees with his hands on his hips and just like such a like he can't even be deigned to like hold himself and 
<laughs> and the fact that like in that for in that moment she's like looking at his uh his electric his stun, cattle stun his cattle prod yeah that's yeah. what it is and he's like you can look but don't touch and like at first you think he's talking about his dick and then he, he is. and then yeah you realize he actually is talking about his his alabama howdy do is what he because he's like that little dingus there's an alabama howdy do it's so funny i just love the fact that he is carrying around like a literal representation of a, a like he, he's carrying around his phallic symbol yeah there is absolutely nothing that, that's a hundred percent what that is also he who washes their hands before they pee i have never known so- any guy <laughs> who goes into a bathroom and washes first i know and i love the can he the candy he carries around is so fun like it's such a great little quirk and here's what i love so much about that quirk is how much i hate that quirk yeah i i'm one of those people that i i feel like i'm only opening things up by uh saying this I hate it when I can hear people eat. Mm-hmm. So I know from now on, everyone is just going to be like, hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> there are some things that don't bug me that bug other people a lot. Mm-hmm. But like when it is noticeably loud when someone is, and not just like normal. Yeah, people make noises when they eat. But like if someone is eating a chip and <coughs> and they like bite the chip in half, it's like, uh-huh. no. You put that entire chip in your mouth, you close your lips, and then you chew, yeah. minimizing the noise as much as possible. <laughs> no. So he, uh, yeah, he has these little round green hard candies mm-hmm. that he keeps tossing into his mouth and like rattling around in his teeth and chewing on and just everything about him is meant to unnerve that, you and God, sicken I, you and bug you and just get under your everything about him gets under your skin. I, I hate Although, it. And also. My it. my favorite joke in the entire movie, the one that literally like has me cackling every time because it's just so funny, is there's the scene after the asset has been stolen, which just brief, briefly, briefly, I love how Hitchcockian that heist is, how you have him co- going in to like liquefy the asset at the same time that Eliza's going in to steal it at the same time that Strickland gets his car and the way all that works together. It, it feels very Hitchcock to me. Yeah. Anyway, going back. Um... <laughs> Whenever he calls Hofstetler in to interview him about the uh, kidnapping of the asset, he's reading the power of positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's but then so... that comes back when he's talking to uh, General, what's his name? Hoyt. General Hoyt. And he's like, sir, I can't be in a negative mindset. I can't be mindset. in a negative mindset. And that is so great because it gets at the fragility of all these all these men who are so all about their phallic symbols and about having to make sure that everyone knows that they're in charge and having to uh, these men are so fragile at their core they cannot handle anything out of the ordinary they cannot handle anyone challenging their authority which by the way the best this movie has the greatest fuck you of all time. It, it has several. The scene where he lowers himself to interviewing the help and Eliza, it, like Eliza and Zelda have, they've successfully kidnapped the amphibian man and he's interviewing them about it. And Eliza just has this knowing grin on her face the whole time. And then as they're walking out, she turns around and signs F U C K Y O U 
the face that she makes is the reason why I'm so sad that she didn't win the Oscar for her performance. <laughs> like she should have won. I, I'm not. Her, I'm not mad that Frances McDormand won. Her won, face before I'm still she so starts sad. signing it to me is an even better uh, face. God, because it's so like, good. Like, it's almost like that's part of her turning point of just yeah. like. What are you gonna do? This is, yeah, you, exactly. That's exactly what it is. What are you gonna do? The, between that and the moment where she is pleading with Giles to help her get the creature out of there, and when she's just like, where he's like, "God, it's not even human," and she's like, "Yeah," and if we don't do anything, neither are we. It's such a like you see that in so many movies, but it's never been done better than in this movie for the for the most part. Like that scene gets me every time because you just feel it in her performance and the way that she like she's like making him say it out loud, which you know serves functionally just so that way we know what she's saying but it also is brilliant because it forces him to say speak aloud what she is saying and forces him to confront it himself yeah well and and see like they've been uh there were the subtitles so we don't need him to say I what mean, I she's guess that's saying true but it it's the fact that not only does it force him to hear it out loud but have you ever been talking to someone well it takes the subtitles away and helps you focus more on her performance too it, it does that but have you ever been talking to someone and like whatever argument you're in they're like yeah no i heard you and they parrot back some of what you said was yeah. like but you're missing the exactly point. exactly it's like no no i heard you you said blah 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 it's like yeah fine i said that but that's not why i that's not why i said it and so like forcing him to actually repeat back everything mm-hmm. it, it's really getting him to not just quote hear what she's saying but to like to really listen to why she's saying it mm. and it it really is such a smart decision it it's is just, it gets it it's also one of the most fascinating uh kind of <clears throat> subtextual things about the movie where it's like this is a movie about marginalized people who are also kind of per- perpetrators of that marginalization in their inaction like giles again like i mentioned like he is someone who just doesn't want to deal with all the shit in the world. Like he's someone he's like, he cannot handle it in kind of the same way that Strickland can't handle certain things that bug him. Um, But it's like, yeah, he doesn't want to deal with it. He's not going to do it. And through his inaction, he is causing the suffering of others. Well, even with, uh, even with the Zelda's husband where like he stands up and says Mm -hmm. something and he's like, you can't be doing that. You're breaking the law. And, very much like following the orders because if you don't you get in trouble mm-hmm. if you don't you get shot <laughs> even, if you even zelda has a moment where she starts making fun of short people <laughs> or like she's talking about like how mean short people are which i think is really funny like there's this kind of thing where it's like as a marginalized person one of the only ways that you can feel in control of your destiny is to kind of punch down like that's one of the only ways that you can feel better about yourself and the you know the shitty hand you've been dealt is it's like yeah i mean i I at least feel some kind of control whenever i can say like oh yeah i'm better than that person i mean that's that's very much human nature and it's it's not good but it's it's not good but it's human and that's kind of like that's it's like the part of the reason i it's it almost feels like victim blaming to say this but it's but again it's kind of like getting at like you have to speak up whenever other people are being pushed around you no matter who you are you are you have something that you can do or especially as like people like us who are white men like we are the kind of people who we more than anyone need to call other white men out on their shit whenever they're being shitty assholes and and i think that one of the things that this movie does so so well it it's not 
just highlighting um, the marginalized individuals in this movie and marginalized societies. And it's not just saying racists are bad and homophobic individuals are bad. Like, it's not just highlighting that. It's also really pointing out the struggles of how hard that can be. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, that's such a human thing of, yeah, you have to do something when you see downtrodden people. But like Giles, Giles's response to like, no, it's not human. We can't do anything about mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> he wasn't saying that out of hate. He wasn't saying that out of malice. He wasn't saying it because he didn't care about Eliza. It really was a what, what can, can we I do? do yeah, about it's, there's nothing like, I can do about it's, it's too it. Dangerous. It feels it's like. Too, and it, I, I'm putting myself out there to do this. And the movie and, it doesn't necessarily condemn him for it. It's it is empathetic to him, but also <laughs> saying like, "Hey, yeah, I know it sucks, but sometimes you just gotta you gotta do it." And and I also I love that it goes both ways, where it's like, "Yeah, um, it's great to have movies and things where you can go and like disappear into this fantasy world and." You need that sometimes, but but sometimes you just can't, and sometimes you just have to deal with things. And it's, uh, God, it's there's just so many layers of this movie, and so many things that work so beautifully. It is so empathetic and beautiful and human, and does not shy away from dealing with the harsh realities of the world, but also saying like, yeah, life sucks, but here are things that are beautiful about it, and here's how we can work together to at least just understand one another. Yeah, yeah like. I, I mean, my favorite I I keep saying my favorite about everything. <laughs> everything my, favorite, my favorite one of my favorite lines is when is in that moment when Eliza's talking about the creature and she says he does not see me for what I lack. And that is just such a beautiful I'm feeling like emotional just thinking about yeah. it like it's well, so and, beautiful. Like I was thinking about um it, it very similarly one of my favorite lines is when Giles says I was either born too late or too early. Yeah. Because yeah, not just talking about the fact uh, that he's gay, and it used to be okay in, you know, ancient societies, and it is getting more accepted. Obviously, it's something that society still has a hard time dealing with, but especially in the 60s, you know, getting thrown out because it's a, quote, family establishment. One of the things that I love about that line is it's not just highlighting his struggle, but it's really um, – I feel like it's driving home one of the themes of the movie where – Yes, the movie does feel very genuine to the time that it's representing, but it also feels like so many characters are just out of time. Not out of time like they don't have any time left, but they are in the wrong time Mm -hmm. and just things feel out of place and being being an outsider. And even with uh, Hofstetler, where he's the Russian spy, where, yeah, fine, Russian spy, fine, whatever. But it's also highlighting that he is a stranger. He doesn't yeah. belong. And and it's so many people having to overcome these struggles to not only over, overcome the struggles to embrace who they are and get other people to embrace mm. who they are. And I, I and also, love it when Hofstetler, like when he gives them the like that second packet of things and they're like, thank you. And he's like. Dimitri. My name's Dimitri. Yeah. And so it's like people exposing themselves, exposing their weaknesses. And it's just, it is such a beautiful film. I love it. It really is. And and the crazy thing too, is like one other thing that I love about this is how it highlights just how mundane evil can be and how so much of the horrible things that we do, like we do for the stupidest reasons. Like there's the line, I think general Hoyt says it, um, where they're talking about like, 
why are you why would you kill this creature like it, it is capable of of thought like i i love the like the way that they said it like against the uh, space race and how this is our space dog yeah. which is a funny thing and they talk about like yeah we can we can do research on this because that can help us to get to space because it has two sets of lungs and it can breathe in the water and out of the water or whatever sure like it's a cool thing that kind of goes back to like 50s sci-fi st- um pictures um but anyway like the banality of the reason why they kill it it's like yeah um we don't need americans to learn we need um we that need- wasn't hoyt it was the the russian dude oh no you're, you're yeah you're right you're right you're right okay um but yeah it's like yeah we want you to kill the creature so that way they can't dissect it because we don't need americans to learn we need them we don't we, no, we, we don't, don't need, need to, to learn. learn we need americans not to learn yeah, yeah there thank you for saving me yeah which uh, man again so many relevant themes and then where... you even have the scene where like uh he he's talking to he uh, appeals to uh strickland about it and he's like, you can't kill this creature. It has, it's, it's intelligent. And he's like, yeah, so are the, the gooks and so are the Russians and all that stuff. And like, but we still kill them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he knows that what they're doing is evil. He just doesn't care. Yeah. And I, I he, he wants to, he, it's about power. It's all about power. And man, I love this movie. Exerting your control over someone. That is what most evil where most evil stems from and it's so frustrating and i i'm I'm fairly certain that at this point in the podcast 60 percent of what i've said has just been one of the other things that i love but one of the other things that i love uh, (laughs) about this movie and about how del toro handles drama and handles just such how he handles his characters and how he handles so many different themes the conversation that hoyt has with strickland when he's in the office uh, after uh, Amphibian Man had, had been um, taken, where, <clears throat> where he's like, you will get it back or else, like, you're gone. You'll be forgotten. You'll be nothing. Yeah, he's like, twenty. They, I've given tw- uh, 20 years of service or 10 years of service or whatever. Surely that counts for something. It's like. Pfft. Well, when he says there, uh, I forget all the things that he says that lead up to it, but he says there will be a Strickland sized hole in this universe. Yeah. Which first off, like. That is so degrading and it feels so empty. And to say to this person who their entire being is about power and about positive thinking and about, you know, controlling others, it is so isolating and so just like you are nothing. Mm-hmm. But I felt bad for Strickland in that moment. I was like, he, that, yeah. I, it's, it's, I, I'm feeling empathy for the monster. It is remarkable how much you can kind of empathize with him. And the book is even better. Like, the book does an even better job of, of like making him a, a character that you well, maybe not empathize with, but sympathize with, I guess. Here. In he, some respect. Because as, he is a victim of his time. He is a, a product of, of his time. And that's well, just. Here's the thing, though. As much as I love that line and as, as, <laughs> as terrifying as that line is because of, again, like you mean nothing. Because you've already seen his wife and his kids and it's just god i love it what i love so much is after that you see how monstrous strickland is like Mm -hmm. he had been a monster but when he's told you are nothing the way that he responds to it because that's when you see the true character of people it's not always what they do it's what they do in response to things Mm -hmm. when he's told that he is nothing he's like I'm going to bring everyone down with me. And, you know, we're referencing back to Delilah and how, you know, he's going to bring down the temple. But when he's told that he's nothing, he's like, okay, now I'm going to go kill everything. God, when he, that reminds me, I totally forgot about this. He fish hooks 
Hofstetler yep. through the cheek. Oh, dude, that scene is so crap. Hofstetler gets it real bad in this movie. Poor guy, man. I, that is so awful. I can't decide if I'm mad at Hofstetler for saying it wasn't a strike team, it was the help. Like, I, I, I can't know. decide if I'm mad at him for that <gasps> or if I'm, like, proud that, that he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you think that you're just some big dick. No, man. Dude, that reminds it, me. It was the people that you think are nothing. They're the ones <laughs> who took it from you. This is a fu- oh, th- that seems not funny exactly, but it kind of is. Um, that reminds me of one minor character that we haven't mentioned who I absolutely love is Bradley Whitford as... Uh, as um, uh, was it Bradley Whitford? Yeah, it's Bradley Whitford. Are Strickland's a hundred percent. I'm pretty. Sure, I I'm, thought that it was, but then I'm pretty sure it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I thought it. I could be wrong. No, it. I'm pretty sure that it's uh David Hewlett. No, Are you no, no, wait. That's the man. I don't know. I thought it was Bradley Whitford. Anyway, he reminds me of Bradley Whitford. He reminded me so much of Bradley Whitford that I thought um, it was. But I can't I remember the character's name honestly. But the um the uh. <laughs> He's kind of like the Igor to uh, Strickland's Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, but like he's so submissive and I love like his little things about bad language. But my favorite thing is uh, there's the moment after the creature has been kidnapped and you have the scene where he and Strickland are trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, yeah, this had to have been a uh, strike team and they had to be like clockwork. He's saying that as um, Eliza and Zelda are clocking in. <laughs> which is so funny like such a cool little detail i do not see bradley whitford on the uh on huh. the list on IMDb. so yeah maybe it was maybe he's uncredited i don't know i know he, he has enough i straight up just he, assumed it was bradley whitford i assumed that it was bradley whitford because of richard jenkins and uh their their roles together in cabin in the woods but, oh yeah yeah that's I, right i didn't I even think don't about that think that it actually is bradley Whitford. it 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 is a uh certainly someone who could play bradley whitford in a biopic <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking this up now um, oh god there but yeah what, that's what were some of the things that we oh, said that you we were, were going gonna... back to strickland um no shit it is not bradley whitford okay well i that is i'm just i just didn't even think to look it up because i just I just knew that that was who it was um so you have uh strickland who fish hooks them and then that moment i think probably the probably the scariest moment of the whole movie is when he goes to zelda's apartment and he rips off his fingers because he is a character who was literally rotting from the inside out. Like his his body is rejecting him in yeah. so, in some ways. It's dude, that is so crazy. That scene where he like squeezes the pus out of his finger, oh, dude. <sighs> and then when he rips it off, it's so awful. And it's like the way that he connects that with the whole Samson and Delilah thing, like the this story that he's conjured up in his head about the the conflict he has with Zelda. It is so, oh, man, God damn it. This movie's so good. <laughs> I, don't, I, can't, I don't even know where to begin half the time. It's just so good. So I, I know that, um, one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started recording was how, uh, Strickland and his relationship with Amphibian Man in terms of, oh, yeah, you know, the people in South America worshiped him, worshiped him as a god or whatever, and just, like, how he was so dismissive. But then his reaction right before he dies, like, I, I know that you were wanting to mention that. Um, oh, yeah. Were but, he- <laughs> but did were, were there other things that we said we were going to come back to? Like, this was part of the reason that I wanted to touch on all those broad topics is because I feel like there are so many more things that I want to talk about with this movie and so many more things that I want to say about how much I love it. But like, it really is just rambling of this thing's awesome and this thing's awesome and this thing's awesome. 
And obviously there's no shortage of love here, and I hope that we are not overselling this to someone who has not seen it. And I also acknowledge the fact there's probably people out there that don't agree with us. Oh, no, I'm sure. I mean, like, it's it's so... there's It's a weird movie. I mean, it's the kind yeah. of movie that it... It's kind of weird that this kind of ended up becoming like the Oscar favorite in a way for best. I don't remember if it was like the the I think it was kind of between this and three billboards at the time. But like on the one hand, it feels like such a conventional Oscar bait kind of movie. It's a period piece. It's about movies in some ways and it covers so many genres. And there's so many things about it that scream Oscar bait. But it is also a movie that in, has a woman a fish man so it's like it's i just love that this movie ended up becoming that like it's one of my favorite best picture winners ever just because a guillermo del toro is one of the loveliest human beings to ever exist and i love him so much and i'm so glad that he won two oscars for this movie for directing and for best picture and I just I just love him and he put his heart and soul into this movie you can tell like this is a movie that just feels so personal yeah in every like he is just throwing all of his eccentricities and all of his loves and fears and hopes and desires and everything on the screen and you can feel that um so I'm so glad that it paid off for him because he's just the best i i absolutely adore this um all right so yeah, but yeah do, do so, uh say your bit about strickland and then we probably should wrap up yeah we can wrap up um uh, otherwise we're just gonna go on and on and on i just i just love that his last moment where um like he kind of just gives in he shoots the creature and then he kind of the creature and then he shoots eliza spoilers yeah, he shoots eliza man he, i was not expecting that when i, I know saw man the like he 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 kills oh. her he, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that she dies in that moment and then the creature brings her back to life. Um, she is literally reborn. Yeah. Um, but when he is shot and then he stands up and he like wipes his hand over it and the bullets go away or the bullet holes go away. I guess the bullets are still inside him. It doesn't really explain that. No, they probably went through. I don't. Oh, I guess they could have gone through. Yeah. That, I didn't even think about that. Anyway, um, when the creature just kind of like saunters up to him, like he, he, in that moment, Strickland recognizes, oh, I am not the apre- apex predator anymore. F- you are a god. And he basically just gives into his fate and just let like it's almost it is almost a moment of release that you feel like he wants in that moment. And that's that may just be kind of colored by me reading the novel because that's how it's depicted where he's just like, yeah, you know what? This is okay. Yeah. I was bested. I found the creature. Like I, you know, hats off. You won in the gentlemanly duel or whatever you want to call it. Um, but that moment is just so beautiful. Um, <laughs> the way that it plays out. And see, I, I would almost take it not as a, you bested me in this duel, but almost because he is so much about power and so much about mm-hmm. control. Once he realizes I have no control, not an acceptance, but almost like a. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like he is he, he in that moment, he accepts his fate um, and the world is a better is better off with a Strickland sized hole in it. Except for um, his kids. They're better off without him. There's <laughs> they loved him. He, um, he could have been a 
better person. No, uh, he's still seems he could like have a been a dickhead. Yeah. Well, there's a moment. There's there's a scene whenever they talk about watching Gunsmoke and his and Lainey. Dude, in the novel, Lainey is a full fledged character. I love that about like she has her own subplot and everything. It's so great. I don't remember if I mentioned that <laughs> earlier or not. I can't remember. Um, I know you mentioned but, when we were talking, but I can't remember if we were recording at that point. I, I love her subplot, but there is. Uh, he wants to watch. Did I say Gunsmoke or Bonanza? Whatever. Bonanza. Bonanza is what they want to watch, and she's like, "No, that's too violent." In the novel um uh strickland goes on this huge like tirade about how no bonanza is real life because real life is violent and horrible and this is that he it he should be watching this instead of all this other stuff basically like you are a, a man and you need to accept that you're gonna have to you know give in to your testosterone and all this bullshit nonsense uh he would be a horrible you, father you have to perpetuate the toxic masculinity that i am uh, imposing upon you exactly that yeah. is exactly what it is and it is the cycle that is the reason why we still have stricklands to this day yep. so many of them unfortunately um but yeah i love that last moment so i want to end on this I, I have unless one, you have one more thing I have one more thing that I wanted to say I think we've touched on almost everything the only other thing uh, and and this goes back to to some of what we're talking about with how <laughs> incredible the acting is with um, with Eliza and the amphibian man where so everything uh, is done non-verbally and how so much is having to be communicated through physical acting and through just the way that the uh, the scene is set <laughs> and through um, just everything other than dialogue. I wanted to tie that back to the swimming scene in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Not only is it one of my favorite scenes just because of how beautifully it's shot, but there is so much sexual tension Mm -hmm. in that scene where she's swimming uh, in the lagoon and the creature is, you know, like just five feet underneath her just swimming her and just matching her movements and and it's such a just such a beautiful scene in part because of the music that uh, that's with it and it's not the da-da music um <laughs> oh, we but, didn't even talk about the music in this movie holy crap how do we mention miss that i, I the, mentioned it Alexander where Day's it adds applause. where it feels some of uh that's part of what makes it feel like a french story to me oh, um, the score is like so with, beautiful with the, at least i thought that i mentioned that it's on my notes maybe i forgot to talk about that like the use of the accordion like that is part of what sets me yeah, in the mindset it. of this feels very french accordion the the whistling was pretty yeah. cool but yeah the uh <laughs> the scene in creature from the black lagoon where she's swimming and the creature is underneath her and just how much sexual tension is there I, I, I just love that scene, and so I love that The Shape of Water is sort of like... The release. Yes, it is the continuation. <laughs> Finally releases. And, and it is so beautiful. The and 50 years of tension, sexual yes. tension between... <laughs> I, I just uh, I just think that it's beautiful, and I love how those two uh, pair together. That yeah. was all. I think that's... Yeah, I, I, there's, I could literally talk about this movie for hours more than we already have. So do you think that I love Eliza... <clears throat> Do you think that the ending actually happened or do you think it is the fairy tale that Giles has invented for himself? Both. It could be both. Yeah. That's that's what I love how open-ended it is because it's like, yeah, since Giles is telling this as a story, it's like, yeah, he's just believing that she is the princess who has returned home to the sea. That's what I like to believe too. You know, the well, optimist. The, in, it's I it's, mean, it's, it's one of those perfect litmus test kind of movies. That's like, are you a cynic? Then yeah, she died. The or, fact that Amphibian Man had already healed a few times and he healed himself a few times. And like they make it very clear that he has that ability. And 
They never make it clear if he can bring things back from the dead. I don't think that she was dead yet. Uh, yeah, that's because true. Because be, uh, was shot in the gut. And Strickland says, you've been shot in the gut. That's a death sentence. Like, you're going to die from yeah. that. But there's a good few minutes where they're talking about it. That is true. And he does talk about how, like, he could take his time with the torture or whatever with him. Yeah, the, so I don't think that candy she metaphor. was dead. I think that she probably, you know, passed out from just the pain and shock. But... It could be true. And I don't, I don't think she was dead yet. I, I think that she was still um, savable from the it's creature. It's such a perfect fairy tale ending where it is a happy ending with some, you know, some notes of sadness. It is beautiful. And yeah, I love this movie, man. Yeah. I, again, even like those two very minor things, it was like, here's a very minor, man. I, why did I even say those? This movie is perfect. I absolutely love this movie. Um it, it's it's perfect and amazing i love it i want to go watch it again hey how rewatchable yeah. is this movie um i mean I, i'd watch it again i hate you <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's so rewatchable i like it, it is the kind of movie that as soon as it ended i was like you know if i had the time and energy and all that i would i would be fine watching it immediately after finishing it yeah there's uh, just so much so much before it I is packed it. to the gills with, with just everything you could ever want out of a movie. <laughs> I Before I watched it uh, for, for this episode, you and I were talking and I was saying how much I love it. But like recently uh, referencing junk food cinema again, I, how I had been listening to the junk food episode on baby driver and I was like, I love baby driver so much. And like that movie is so insanely rewatchable because it's so much fun and like, there's so much attention to detail. And I'm sure at some point we're going to cover going to cover baby driver. But when I was oh, talking yeah, my about my other favorite movie of 2017. Yeah. So like when I was talking about how exciting that movie is also and how rewatchable it is, absolutely a musical <laughs> and how like, uh, like I'll spend time just watching clips from baby driver just because I, I, film is a masterpiece. And I was like, and as much as I love Shape of Water, I don't, I don't know if I would watch it again, like instantly, just because of, uh, it is a, a heavier movie. I said that beforehand, when I finished watching Shape of Water, like, first off, I then started watching all of the extras. Cause I was like, I don't want to be done watching yeah, this. I did too. And were it not for the fact that I had to get at least some sleep. I would have instantly watched it again with the commentary on to get to know more about the movie. And then I want to watch it again. Like I love this movie so much that I want to watch it three times in a row. First off, just to watch it. Then again, with commentary to know that much more about it. Then again, without commentary to even more fully appreciate the movie. Yeah. There is no commentary for this movie. This is the only one. This is one of the only movies that Guillermo del Toro did not record a commentary track for. Are you pulling it out to to verify I, I this? I thought that I had it with me. I, well, no, I'm I was almost positive that the Blu-ray has a commentary. It might not be him. I think there might be commentary for like. Are there? There aren't even deleted scenes. I don't think. Maybe maybe he did a. Maybe there was another version of the Blu-ray that had commentary on it. But the version I have was the one that came out right when it was released. And um, from what I read, Guillermo del Toro never recorded a commentary track. You're looking it up. I am looking it up. There is a Gamero del Toro masterclass. Yeah, that's actually. Pre- I didn't watch the I, whole thing, that whole masterclass, but that was pretty fun. Where he's like in a room full of there, industry I, people. I thought that there maybe there wasn't a commentary. I thought that there was a commentary. No, this is oh, one. Well. I think this is one where where Del Toro is just kind of like, yeah, this one pretty much speaks for itself. Like you, you don't really need me to explain anything to you. He he's done plenty of interviews where he goes into 
in so much depth with just like what the story means to him and what he was thinking when he was putting it together. I don't, I don't think it needs a comment. I would, I would love to hear I, a commentary. Track, I would love, but one. I don't think it really needs it. It's, well, it's, it's one of those movies where like it it's needing it and me wanting it are two very different. That's things. true. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing where like the subtext is very obvious. And I, it's the kind of thing that, like I said, that's one of the criticisms it received where it's very obvious with its messaging, but it never feels ham fisted in any way. Like it still is beautiful. And there's still like, a lot of great subtleties to the filmmaking that that doesn't bug me. It's n- it never feels on too on the nose. Um, it feels like it is very visible in a way that it needs to be. So you can really get the social messaging behind it, which, you know, yeah, sometimes we're not going to fully get into this because we've already been talking for a while. <laughs> sometimes when people are like, this movie's too on the nose. It, like, it feels to me like someone complaining about art, that, uh, like realism in art, where it's just like, I can tell what this this painting is supposed to be. Just like, yeah, of course you are, because the artist painted it in also, a realistic manner. <laughs> do, are, are you complaining that this beautiful piece of art makes sense to you? Like, is, I think is, that my tolerance for a lack of subtlety has changed a lot, even since this movie came out, just because of the fact that we live under the Trump presidency. And um, I mean, I I guess I won't get too political, but there's no such thing as anything being too on the nose anymore. I, I feel like satire is dead at this point I, <laughs> because nothing will su- ever surprise me ever again. I granted in some reviews probably have uh, complained about something being too obvious, but I mean, I'm I'd, sure I would still complain about that in certain things, but I don't feel that way about the shape of water at all. I'd like to think because I, I can't think of any movies off the top of my head, but I'd like to think that my critiques <coughs> of something being too obvious is when it's trying to be clever and it's not or like, yeah, that's true. It's, I guess it, it, it definitely depends on the intention. Yeah. So like being obvious with a message that you are obviously trying to tell, like, yeah, and it, it is still a mm. beautiful message and a beautiful movie. And there, even with it being obvious, there are so many layers to this movie that, sure, that thing is obvious, but God, there's but so you also much have things else like buried <laughs> underneath it and just. Mm, it's not as obvious as you think that it is. You also have uh, have like lines of dialogue where they're talking about Tantalus and like all these things that have, there's like a, a lot of different things that you could read into with that, with him being tantalized by the waiter. I mean, I guess that is obvious, but it's still enough to where it's like getting you to think about other things and other pieces of art and the way it connects. And yeah. you have like the story of Ruth is the movie playing in the movie theater and like trying to think of it. One of the things that really got my mind going is trying to think of the connections between the story and the biblical book of Ruth and things like that, which we obviously we can't yeah. get into that now, yeah. but, but like there, there are definitely things that are not very obvious that you could really read into and dig into. Yeah. But I, again, even when it's obvious, who cares? It is still a masterful, masterful piece of work. This movie is insanely. Almost, almost anybody could find meaning in this film. I feel like, yeah, if you're willing to, uh, if, if, if you're not somebody who is going to balk at, uh, you know, the fact that Eliza and the creature have sex, which if, if, if you're going to balk at it, then you're probably not the person for this. If well, you actually, you probably are the person who needs to watch this movie. Needs but. to and going to are different, but it's <laughs> God's about love and who cares? I, mm, people are, mm. I love this movie. It's perfect. Yep. It is it is a masterpiece. Absolutely amazing. I recommend it for literally everyone. Yep. Even kids. In, in, including small children. Especially small children. Even small children. Tell them sometimes people are naked. 
Sometimes people die. These are things that really happen in life. This movie is still a vital piece of understanding why you need to be a good person, why you need to show love, why you need to show acceptance, why you need to not be racist, why you need to not be filled with hate. Sometimes you have to beat people over the head with that message because yes. because it's the kind of message you got your entire life as a child and somehow it was not absorbed by some people. Yep. Even the people who beat you over the head with that message sometimes do not exemplify it, which is still like one of the weirdest things about being an adult now and seeing people who I used to look up to who are part of the reason why I am the way that I am and are not the people that I thought, which is another great subtextual thing about this movie and the fact that people put put on these facades. Love it. Yep. So I recommend (sighs) this movie to everyone. Be aware there is nudity. There is blood. uh, There is some swearing, but... I just, it, this movie is so perfect that it is. It's, yeah, yeah. It is. That's it, it is what it is. All right. All right. Uh, oh, crap. Before we actually like close everything out and do our whole where to find us, even though we also start the podcast with where to find us, <laughs> before we end things, um, even though we did spend a fair amount of time at the beginning talk about the Chattanooga Film Festival, forgot to mention a few things like, you know, how to support them. One of the ways that you can support them is by buying tickets. Yeah. Chatfilmfest.org. Get yeah. on it. Yeah. They, uh, you, can, you can get tickets to individual screenings. So, like, if you just want to go to a movie, make that movie a Chat Film Fest movie and mm-hmm. be a part of the experience. Because even if you only see one, even if you don't even see a movie, just being there and being a part of the environment, the atmosphere, it's so engrossing that who cares if you don't even see a movie. But also, the movies are amazing. Go watch the movies. So you can get tickets for individual movies. Uh, Batches for the entire weekend are $200. And there is also a patron pass uh, for $1,000, which I know sounds like a lot because it is a lot. But there's going to be a ton of perks with that. And also, like, you're just contributing to Chat Film Fest and, you know, giving to this nonprofit organization that really needs the support to provide such an amazing, um, such an amazing experience. If you can afford it, it is an extraordinarily worthwhile investment. I mean, because, yeah, you are contributing to the continuation, like the future of the film festival while also getting to enjoy it yourself. I mean, yeah. Yeah. What more did you want? Granted, $1,000 is a lot and very easily understand how a lot of people would not be able to afford that. And I, I also even understand $200 is a lot. And a lot of people probably can't even afford that, which is why we emphasize, even if you can only go to one movie, still get a single ticket and go mm-hmm. to a movie. Yeah, they've got day passes. They've got, I mean, and, and a lot of, and then they're going to have a lot of events that'll be free. Yeah. Um, they'll have workshops that'll be free. <clears throat> so keep, I mean, a lot of those aren't announced yet, but you can keep an eye on that. Chatfilmfest.org. Yeah. And uh, whether you get tickets or not, if you just want to contribute and help Chat Film Fest be even more awesome than it already is and continue on for years from now, um, go to chatfilmfest.org and, and donate. They have a, a donate button there. So, God, even if it's only like two or three bucks, if a thousand people give two bucks, that's two thousand dollars. I can math. Yeah, that was, that was good math. You got it. I'm pretty sure that's right. I mean, I can check it on the calculators to be sure, but I think that's correct. So even even if it's just given a few bucks here or there, even if it's just whatever, like donating <coughs> 10 cents a day, that's not that much. Sure, it'll add up. But 
contribute, be a part of this. If you can't make it down to Chattanooga, but you want to support uh, independent film, and if you want to support film festivals and cinema, and if you, you know, like this podcast and and want to contribute to things that we love, donate to Chat Film Fest. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, we were on the same page. That was great. What? What page? I was just like a millisecond off, or like. <laughs> whatever (laughs) what what were you thinking wait what what huh it's terrible now what where do you want people to find you on twitter good at the chimerican (laughs) you know i've wondered if people know how to spell the chimerican that was something that occurred to me i was like i always just say the chimerican but it's spelled kind of weird no it's not it's spelled chimera can chimeric well no it's chimera drop the a i can that's what i said so you have to drop the A and then put I can. So, a chimera, so it's an not, American chimera or an Arican chimera, however you want to look at it. it is, so I am the chimerican. It's chi-merican. Yeah. So if you're dropping the A, uh, I assume it's not a Canadian chimera, Ken? <laughs> Shut up, Nathan. And you can also find me at, <laughs> on Instagram at chimerican reviews and on Letterbox at Eric J-A-Y. I don't, I don't think I've posted anything on Instagram this year. I don't think you have. I, have, I need to do that. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Video Monster Pod. And when I say me slash the podcast, it's not like uh, the emperor being, I am the Senate. It's not me saying, I am the podcast. But you kind of are. It's just, I, I am. But you are the. the you I am are the one the, who posts through those accounts. So You are the podcast social media overlord. Yes, because you do nothing. Yeah, I barely even tweet from my own account. It's it's so true. <laughs> I need to do it. I need to do it more, man. I just I have I have all these thoughts, and then I yeah anyway. well, yeah, and like I have my personal accounts, but it's one of those things where it's like if I don't know you because I do post things like about family and stuff, it's it's like I I keep private private. And then post, you know, the, just, my nerdy and movie stuff through. I don't even post on my personal stuff on like Facebook. I don't, I'm just, I'm just busy. I'm yeah. on Twitter a lot. I just don't tweet. A lot of, lot of likes and retweets. So yes, yeah. follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at video monster pod. Um, yeah. And if you like this episode and you want to keep coming back for the last episode in our love and monsters series, which is going to be warm bodies which I am looking forward to talking about. It's kind of, you know, a letdown from Shape of Water. It's like, this movie is amazing and perfect. We're and with next like we're two really great about, things. Eh, warm bodies. It's fine. So um, it's, it's cute. I like it. It's, we'll it's a nice, it. like, it's a nice, just kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, cool. It's a, it's a nice, it, I don't know. It's a nice send off. Yeah. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. We'll, we'll have some fun talking about I it. I like the, I like the way that thematically it fits with the other it, movies. Which we'll have to get into. I, I don't want to say yet. I, because I feel like we're not going to have as much to say about that one as we have about. Oh, uh, probably not. So we can uh, also spend some time on that episode, sort it's of kind wrapping of like up the, the entire it's, series. It's kind of like the opposite of Spring, which is why it works as a good bookend. Um, it is, but it also isn't. Yeah. Because of how quick. We're, we're going to get into that. We are not doing a second episode. It's been a while right since I've now. seen it. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So you have to watch it before we talk about it again. Uh, so yeah, next up we're going to do Warm Bodies. That's going to clo- close out our Love and Monsters series. And providing that neither of us get sick again, we will then be doing a two-part episode for our Decades series where we cover early days of cinema to 1919. And then the second episode will be covering the 1920s. 
Yep, I'm doing, I was doing some research on that this morning. I need to do more research. Yeah. And then in March, um, all, all of our episodes in March are going to be very closely connected to the Chat Film Fest. They might not be like directly related, um, but, you know, but possibly things like House on Haunted Hill or The Endless or things related to the movies that have been announced mm-hmm. that, uh, that we'll be able to talk about. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what's coming up in the future. So if you want to stay up to date on all of that, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for Video Monsters. And again, follow us on social media. And give us ratings and reviews. That yeah. too. Helps helps other people to find the podcast and listen to us. And then maybe we'll get more ratings and reviews. And then maybe more people will listen and we can do more things. And it'll be, it'll be great. Yeah. Help us out. Yeah. We need it. That'd be good. <laughs> Can't do it by ourselves. And go to Chat Film Fest. It's an amazing film festival. It's, it's almost like they sponsor us or something. It is. Yeah. It's, All right. It's a good thing we love them before we got them as sponsors. That is true. <laughs> and and I, I feel like I need to mention this every time I highlight the fact that, yes, they are a sponsor. Everything that we say about Chat Film Fest, we say genuinely. We mean it. Um, and if you're like, yeah. Do you listen to some of the episodes where we share our honest opinions about movies that maybe are not always glowing, even when they involve people? Me. Yep. yep. Even me. when they involve. Me. Yep. Even when they involve people. I that cannot be bought. Dear Lord, why do you keep interrupting? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because I can't be bought. Everything that we say about Chat Film Fest, we genuinely mean. Everything that we say about Central Cinema, we genuinely mean. Everything that we say about Knoxville Horror Film Fest, we genuinely mean. And everything that I say about Frightening Ass Film Fest, I genuinely mean. Because you still have not been to one, and you still have not said anything about it. I bet it's great. It is. I'd it, like to go. It is so great. You should yeah. go this year. All right. You can toss that script now. You can just crumple it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that, now that Nathan is finished with his script... Has that been it for video for this episode of Video Monsters? That has been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I am Eric. And remember, kids, show love to people. Like, whether or not you agree with them, whether or not you understand them, whether or not you hate them, it, show love. Love's really important. Yeah, man. Believe in happily ever afters. Yeah. That's what I choose to believe in. Yeah. And remember, kids. What, what? What, what? 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 Huh? Huh? What? Yeah. Hmm? What? Why? Why? Just why? What? <sighs> <clears throat> That's it. I don't. I don't have any other cutesy little goofy things to chat film fe- Chat film fest dog work. Chat film fest. <laughs> chat chat film fest. Have some subliminal advertising. Dot org. Okay. Bye. shape of water just conforms to whatever container it is in oh no i already made that joke didn't i you did Dang, I, okay all right we're good you know we should show, i feel like literally everyone has made that joke at some point let any single person who has ever talked about or written about the shape of water has made that joke you know that i've not stopped recording yet right yep well i mean i do now <laughs>
Alright, I'm out. The, the post-credits thing, uh, I'm, I might actually just start doing this <laughs> literal post-credits. Do what now? Yep. Okay, yeah. bye.